This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara. And I am Lisa, and it is our one-year anniversary. (laughs) We're so excited. We are. And in this podcast, if you just decided to join us today, because we're on everyone's Spotify top five list, um, (laughs) we talk about an episode of SVU, and then the true crime it's based on, and then we interview a guest from the episode. Today is an extra special twist on the classic. Um, and we're just so grateful for all of you. And it's truly like mind boggling. I don't know. Yes. I meant to post on Thanksgiving. I know it's been Thanksgiving's now like a week gone by or so, but like, uh, I meant to post being like, we're so thankful for all of you. So I'll just say it here. We are really thankful that you guys all sharing your, the number of minutes that you guys have been watching, dedicating to this. Like, I mean, somebody sent us a screenshot that said 21,000 minutes of listening to us. And I was like, I don't think my mom has listened to me that much in my life, but, um, you know, it's just really awesome. Well, yeah. And usually whenever I guest on other podcasts, it's like, this bitch is so annoying. Her voice 
sucks. And so it is, um, it's a nice, <laughs> it's a nice flip-flop of like, these people are just listening to our soothing voices. Um, so that's pretty exciting. <laughs> and I'm just not used to it. You know, San Francisco was very, very fun. And I was talking about how people were just so fucking excited to see me. And our friend Lauren was like, it's like you're complaining about being too skinny. And I'm like, no, I'm not complaining. This is just a whole new world. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, usually I just perform for uh, people who got free tickets. And now people were truly heckling me, yelling, Rosie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to do a joke and people just started going, Rosie! Like, from all over <laughs> the room at the punchline. And I was like, yeah, we love Rosie, but you did ruin my joke. And I'll, yeah, but we love Rosie more. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I didn't take a shot with one girl. She really wanted to take a shot. I'm so sorry. I did not take a shot with you. I had to go smoke weed, but I appreciate you. And I do have the sign that you made. So thank you so much. I mean, that's the best kind of sign to be made about you. Please do a shot with oh me. Oh my God. And I we have presents. People brought you presents. I still haven't given them to you. Um, but we'll shout, we'll shout out the candles yeah. next time. We have a lot to talk about. Yeah. We have so much <laughs> going on weeks, because obviously Thanksgiving, you know, sometimes you guys think we record the night before. You're like, make sure you add this. And it's like, what are Yeah, like the day before, you'll be like, I hope you talk about this. It's like we recorded this a while ago. Um. <laughs> Secret. So we have to go backwards. So we have to go yeah. to your um, uncle's memorial. You were in New York for 48 hours. Yeah, so I went to New York for 48 hours. My, I went out to dinner with my friends. They kept being like, child-free Kara. Like they were, they kept like cheersing because like it is really fun to be in New York without your family. <laughs> like it's super, uh, I love New York so much. And uh I, w- I went back for a sad occasion. My uncle passed away in March. We were finally able to do a memorial for him. And he's sort of like well-known in like um, comedy from the 70s and stuff. He was part of National Lampoon and he worked on Spy Magazine and all these funny things. That And uh, so number one, Alec Baldwin was at the memorial, which I was like, this is wild. Um, and he went up to my cousin who had just given a speech and goes, oh, you killed. And I was like, sir, I don't know if you should be using that language quite so soon. But anyway, it was cool that he was, it was cool that he came to pay his respects to my uncle, even though he's in the middle of a very tragic moment in his life. But also when I first walk in, this is only going to matter to like the 5% of this podcast audience that watches organized crime. The One of the first people I see when I walk in is the fucking Albie's wife, the woman that Maloney is banging in OC when he's undercover. Her The actress is Lolita Davidovich and she's been in tons of stuff. She's married to Ron Shelton, who is a director who's made like White Men Can't Jump, Tin Cup, like all these iconic sports movies. And he made a movie with my uncle and that's why he was there. And he spoke. And then I went up to his wife, like obviously after I chugged two glasses of wine right after we got to the reception. And I was like, I got to talk to you. I watch I watch OC. You're so great. I was like, I have a Law & Order podcast. <laughs> I need you to come and be on it. You need to be on SVU. And she was like, how would I do that? Because I don't, no spoilers, but like her character just got arrested. So she, I was like, Oh, girl, they'd bring you back as... She's, like, the same character. I go, girl, they'd bring you back as somebody different. Like, you could come on as, like, a madam or something. Like, you, you know, don't don't get all... Don't get hung up in the uh, continuity of it all because Lord knows they're not over at SVU. So I talked to her two times. A second time I went over when we made eye contact and I was like, okay, I just got to ask you about making out with Maloney. Yes, like, what was that, what wait, was that like? and... And she goes, I mean, I was just staring at his pecs the whole time. I mean, he's huge. And I was like, girl, I mean, that's exactly what I would be doing. But yeah, she was super sweet and was like giving me some tea. But I was, um, you know, I had had a lot of red wine. And so I think she was just mostly saying about the pecs. And then she was just telling me how cool he is. 
Um, star-studded. And then this can't be confirmed, but oh, we that's what we need to talk about. House of Gucci. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kara, our friend Lauren and I, uh, we did see House of Gucci. And I am 99% sure that Billie Eilish was at the movie theater with her family. She lives in our neighborhood. She would have gone to this old-timey theater. And she was wearing a hood and a mask, but those eyes are recognizable from anywhere. And, um, you know, we obviously did not approach her in any way. She's a teen, uh, but I was very... I ran into the bathroom. (laughs) It was either Billie Eilish or somebody in serious Billie Eilish cosplay. Um, And then also, uh, some people were wanting to know, did I smoke weed with my nephew? Unfortunately, he was a little busy and preoccupied, but I did smoke weed with his roommate. Um, So I did... (laughs) I was hanging out with his college roommate because my nephew only wanted to hang out with his girlfriend, who is a listener of the podcast. Hello. Uh, That's what I wanted to ask. That was my follow-up question. Has he made it to Thanksgiving break with his high school girlfriend? High school? What girlfriend from high school? Oh, yes. Yeah, she was at Thanksgiving. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. That's good. That looks good. That looks good. I'm just saying sometimes they don't make it to the holidays. That's all I'm saying. No. But I love you, girl. I hope that you guys, you and Benji forever. I'm just saying. They're obsessed. Um, Truly, I don't think he hung out with anyone else in his family except for her. Um, And so uh, since I am kind of alone and then this college roommate was alone, I did <laughs> have to smoke weed with his college roommate multiple times. Um, who kept At least it. you didn't hook up with him. One time I no, hooked up with one I- of my brother's friends. I hooked up with one of my brother's friends. My brother's nine years younger than me. I hooked up with one of his friends on a college break. When I was out of college, they were in college, and I was like, this is too young. I shouldn't have done that. No, that wasn't even on my mind. Uh, it was just a makeout, just so everybody knows, but still. No, that that was not happening in the streets. Probably 20, and I was 29. I'm not judging you, uh, but it, was, it just wasn't a related— I think just like someone in college, because when I was in my late 20s, I did hook up with someone that was 22, but the mom asked me to hook up with him. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Your thing's weirder, dude. Of course. Yeah. I think I've talked about in the pod. I was after a show and the mom's like, why aren't you giving my son attention? He's hot. And I'm like, yeah, he's fucking hot. And then she hugged us and then I hu- skedaddled. Yeah. So skedaddled. Oh, also in San Francisco, I met someone who did bring me a joint. Thank you so much. And their cousin is the angel of death, the nurse who is uh, killing people in uh, New England with the shots at the VFW hospital. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah, her mom was a listener of the pod and was like, hey, to her daughter, like, you should listen. Um, They're talking about our murderous cousin. So, (laughs) but who writes um, letters and cards to them constantly for holidays and stuff. So they get mail from prison from the angel of wow. death. Wow. Yeah. Wow, 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 I'm sorry, I'm not remembering her name. We cover too many crimes. I'm sorry. I'm like, that was that like eight yeah. months ago? I don't remember. It was the episode Vulnerable. Yes. yes. Um, also, today on Twitter, an actress wrote to us and said, I was the dead girl Gloria in Scavenger, the one who was found underneath all the flowers. Whoa. She goes, number one, I was 17 playing a 30-year-old single mom. I was like, <laughs> wow, that's wild. She was like, I was also in like a thong and pasties underneath all these flowers. And she said that that Mariska Hargitay, when she like kind of pulled the flowers away, was like, don't worry, I won't let your girls out or something like that. Well, Mariska, oh, keep going, keep going. And, and then the last thing I asked her was, I was like, did they really write on your foot like that? And she like with the riddle or was that like a foot double? And she was like, 
Yeah, they did it like twice, like once in Sharpie and Munch came out and was like making all these jokes about it. I was like, it sounds like you lived the absolute best dead body dream of anybody on SVU. I wonder if it tickled. I don't know how it would be able yeah, to handle yeah, I bet. the writing. No, Mariska, some uh, people were sending us videos that like some fans were trying to talk to her and she was like, I gotta call my husband. I'll be right yeah. out. And I just like loved that so much. And then in Washington Square Park, she like went up to people. She's like, hey, can you guys just like turn down the music because it doesn't really work with our scene, but I'll hang out with you. And then everyone was like, we love her. So she is like out and about. And then one of my great friends, Jake Wilson, um, he's like one of the top Sex in the City fans, I would say that I know. And uh, they were shooting just like that on his block. So he got to see Miranda and Brady shooting. And I was wow. like, if anyone deserves this, it's fucking Jake Wilson. So wait, I'm sorry. How old would Brady be now? Like 15? I think he's going to college. <gasps> wow. I think that was the vibe of the scene from a distance, from a Insta story. I don't know. Like I'm just <laughs> making wild accusations, but um, that is, that is what I think. And Obviously, today was such an exciting day to wait. I mean, you'll, you know, everyone's sending us the Spotify, but it would be weird if we did not touch upon fucking abortion, Alice Siebold, and I think there was something else. There's just a lot of horrific things. So it would be weird not to touch on it, but it is our party episode. So I don't know what to do. So yeah, I would direct people to Shout Your Abortion. Jane's Due Process is specifically Texas, but they have other um, information and- It's just terrible. Like, you know, it's like abortions are still going to happen. People just keep acting. Like, conservatives think that, like, they're going to stop abortions from happening. They're still going to happen. No, they're they just don't not going to happen safely. They actually don't care about abortion. Politicians do not care. They are doing this for their psychotic fan bases. Mm-hmm. And the th- they know it's not going to stop abortion. Oh, well, I'm they talking don't care. even the people, even the people, the, the, okay, the fan base that. Yeah. Like, if they, they think that all these babies are going to, like, sprout wings and be angels living among us, and it's just like, that's not what's happening. People are still going to get abortions. They're just going to be doing it with pills they get off the internet that might not be approved, and, like, it, you know, it's just not going to be safe. And so you're really just creating like a, a healthcare crisis for women. And a lot of those, the comments I was seeing online um, that I agree with was just like how flippant they're talking about how like, just give it up for adoption, just do it. And it's like, pregnancy sucks and it is a hard thing. Labor is an intense thing. Stop forcing women to, I mean, forced labor. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, no, forced pregnancy, forced labor. It's all, you you shouldn't want anything to be born to somebody that doesn't want it. You shouldn't want that. So that's, women should have this option and we will, we will continue to have this option. It's just going to be terrible when people have to travel to, you know, better states or states or, where. I mean, there's an SVU episode. I forgot what it's called where the girl like kept punching herself and doing all this stuff because she went to the fake abortion clinic that was mm-hmm. tricking her. I actually just yeah. watched that one this week. But maybe we'll 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 leave lovely bones for next week. Um, yeah, that's enough. But I also went to AEW Thanksgiving wrestling match in Chicago to watch my friend oh, Colt yeah. Cabana, and it was incredible. I don't know. It's just like I mean, he's been wrestling for over twenty years, and and probably since he was a kid, you know, too. Like he's just loved it his whole life, and this was the biggest match of his career, and to be able to be there was really special. I love how you compare it to drag because I've never really been into wrestling, but I'm so into drag and I feel like now that I know how similar they are, I really need to go like see wrestling. Oh, yeah. Because I think I would like it. The pageantry. Yes. Next time we're here, yeah, because I brought my friend Veronica who's a big Drag Race fan and she kept 
being like, oh my God, so much acting. Oh, the com- there's pyrotechnics. There's a guy in full velvet and glitter. They're naked. They're oiled. They're sexy. I mean, so these, some of these guys are very fucking hot. And, you know, they're doing bat flips and they're good guys, bad guys. And they're like pretending to get hurt. And they're not, they are hurt. It's just in a different hurt way. But, yeah. and you hear the slaps. I mean, it was just incredible. 10,000 people in Chicago. And it was just like, yeah. Very exciting. I don't know. I wish I had more deets. We had a big couple of weeks, you and me. We did. We did. It was funny. I, yesterday, I was like, I'm so tired. And you were like, yeah, I believe. I believe you. Yeah. I was like, that's not weird. You have been into two cities in five minutes each. Like, you know, like, it's really like you live a hectic life. Jet set. Yeah. Oh, and I read the line where it's uh, the Lord, the whatever. What's the Catholic cross thing with the house? Father, of- Son, and the Holy Ghost. The whole That was improvised by Lady Gaga. In House of Gucci? That was improvised. Girl, you know I don't know what line you're talking about. I fell asleep for so much of that oh, movie. Oh, but it's in the, yeah, the, what is it? The God, Lord. What is the, why don't I know what this is? God, Son, and the, and the House of Gucci. She improvised it. Oh, she says Father, Son, and the House of Gucci. You've never seen this. No, I, girl, I went to, okay, everyone should know that we went to this movie together I got too high and I fell asleep for large chunks of it so I do not know what happens I was trying to read recaps of it yesterday and I was like I didn't even know that I didn't even I don't remember Jared Leto being in the movie well he was also in prosthetics and I don't know if you heard but he was like um my friend was telling me yesterday that he did an interview where he was like my blood was olive oil. My heart was marinara and like went on this tirade about how he became Italian, but only using like Italian snacks. Like, I don't know. It was, <laughs> I really don't like him and I have a fantasy. I really want to meet him and pretend I don't know who he is because I think he would get really upset. I think that's so funny. Wasn't Jared Leto like on a silent retreat when COVID happened and he like came out and was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. I thought that tracks so hard for me. But I will say also with House of Gucci, the accents took me out of it, but I am going to watch it again. Yeah, it's camp. It's drag, you know? It's not, camp. <laughs> it's camp, baby. Give us a Thanksgiving treat. Well, all the reviews are saying that even if you don't like it, Gaga is worth it. Like, she's great in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not everything has to be the best thing you've ever seen. That's another thing where it's like, this sucks. This is amazing. Some things are just a great time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it yeah. doesn't have to be a fucking five-star Oscar movie. Like, I don't care. Well, speaking of a great time, the rest of this episode is going to fucking knock you Oh, it's a great episode. We've got a great episode and a great guest. So don't go anywhere. All right. So we're at season six, episode 18, a horrific classic, I would say. One of the best um, twists. I think I've maybe seen this one the most of any episode. I've just seen it so many times. Not me. I actually haven't seen it enough where throughout the episode, I kept being like, like even in my notes, I'm like, this happened. Never mind. It's changed. <laughs> like I, um, I kept being surprised by this episode. There's like so much fun. There's a part where Martin Short uses a weird word and I knew before he said it. I was like, he's about to say this weird word. Like, I don't want to say it in case you're making a no, joke about yeah, it later. maybe. I hope you know where it is. I wonder, I'm trying to, like, do I remember if there was a weird word? I know exactly where it is. I'll bring it up. But yeah, this is kind of like Nardali where it's like, this is the Martin Short episode. Do we need to call it pure? I don't know. Right. It's um, Marty's here. 
So it starts off with a blonde, long-haired girl, and she's wearing a lavender silk dress. Obviously reminds me of our Jessica McClintock fever dream that we've created. Yes. <laughs> it's really, in, yeah, it was incredible how many people were connected by this woman. I wish we got to tell her before she died. But anyways. Yeah. Um. So, you know, lavender silk. She's obviously going to a dance, and she has tears in her eyes. And then we hear, oh, Chloe, calm down. You're going to be fine. So, phew, she's not crying because, you know, she's being twirled in a taken situation <laughs> to be bit on by people. It's just her mom hemming the dress. So that is amazing. But why are you saving the hemming till the last minute? This is not good. Yeah, that's weird. And also, like, your boyfriend's not going to break up with you because you're not ready for a dance. She's very stressed out. But I guess that's, like, teen angst or whatever. Yeah. So her mother's hemming the dress. The date's going to be there any second. And it is her first dance. And I do have pictures from my turnabout dance in high school where you could tell I was hysterically crying. Like... I, oh, do, are you confused about, turnabout's like when the girls ask the boys. Oh, oh a Sadie Hawkins. Yeah, but okay. we call it turnabout. Okay. Um, and so, but I just went with a group of girls, but I none of the outfits were working and I was having mental oh. breakdowns and I was just like, ah! and um, all the photos are my friends looking normal and then I have full red eyes and like, <laughs> I understand this girl. I was definitely okay. crying okay, a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before I totally dance. get I get the stress of like everything looks terrible. But she just seems so worried about her boyfriend. I was like, he doesn't matter that much. But yeah, and then we went to Hula Hands, I remember, and the pasta <laughs> was too spicy, but I didn't want to send it back. It was, I had a rough turnabout. <laughs> A rough turnabout. <laughs> um, and she also has uh, lavender eyeshadow, which is very season six energy. What is that? 2007? Like, uh, it's very that. Um, so the phone rings and the girl's like, get it, get it. It's my date. And the mom's like, chill out, bitch. Like, play it cool. The machine will pick up. Um, you know, play the game. And, uh-oh, the machine does pick up, but it's like a deep, deep, dark voice. And it, um, the voice on the machine goes, your daughter is such a hot piece of ass. Best sex I ever had. She's a screamer. Did you know that? Made me crazy. So that's not good. Um, uh -oh. That's not good. Uh, and the mom is like, if you're, if this is your friends, I'm going to kill them. This isn't funny. And she's like, maybe it's one of Kaylee's dumb friends. Go fuck yourself. And then it dawns on the mom, like, where is your sister? I haven't seen her in a while. So the mom calls Kaylee and... It is not good. Basically, it's Kaylee. She's taped, like, she has masking tape on her mouth. Glo a gloved hand is holding her silver flip phone up. And so the mom can hear the daughter being tied up and taped and, like, you know, making noises and the phone. And so, obviously, there's trouble. And then the voice that we heard earlier goes, Kaylee can't come to the phone. She's tied up right now. I don't like when these killers are trying to do puns and little riddles. I don't yeah. like that. <laughs> Um, so then that's the credits. We enter the credits while Kaylee is thrashing and crying. So Ugh. not good. So then we come back from the credits. We're at the precinct. It's a very casual dress day. Okay. Um, it's probably the weekend or a Friday. Like, I don't think they were planning on working because I've never seen Craig and not in a suit coat ever. And he's just wearing, like, a dress shirt with, like, the top buttons unbuttoned. And Stabler's wearing a T-shirt and a flannel. Ice is in all black. So, like, with a chain. Like, this is an <laughs> off day, okay? This yeah. is... They are not... They did not plan to come to work. So... 
Um, the mom's been calling every 10 minutes and they're annoyed by her, but what else is she supposed to do? Her child is missing and she heard her thrashing. So yeah, I would be calling SVU pretty often too. Um, so they're like, who's the last person to see her? A clerk at the county courthouse. She's a bike messenger for a law firm where Langham works. So Trevor Langan, um, aka Mr. Hargitay, Mr. Benson, whatever. So <laughs> she's working for a defense attorney. So that's kind of exciting. So... The boys are chatting. They're trying to crack the case when the phone rings and it's Olivia. And Olivia's like, turn on the TV. They cut to Olivia and she's with Trevor and the mom and um, of missing Kaylee. And they're doing like a, there's going to be a press conference and they're arguing about it in a walk and talk at the law offices. And Olivia's trying to convince them like, please do not do this press conference. We have to control the information. And Trevor's like, there is no information. So that'll be easy, you fucking deadbeats. And the mom's <laughs> like, listen, she's been missing 16 hours. You haven't done anything. I have to tell the public. And I'm on the mom and Trevor's side here. Like, you guys have no information. I'm I'm going to the public. Like, I'm I'm on their side. I'm not on Team Benson here. How are, yeah, I wonder why they're not tracking the cell phone. I mean, there's a lot of things it feels like they could be doing. I'd also like to mention that this is one of my favorite Olivia haircuts. I love this. Are you kidding? Yeah, I really like it. You don't like it? No, I actually avoided talking about it for so long. Or is that the next? Yeah, I avoided talking about it for so long because at the end I go, listen, I'm sorry to say I hate this haircut. It oh, is my I like least it. Favorite. She looks like Sean Cassidy, like a teen heartthrob from the 60s. I just it's think not it good. frames her face. And maybe it's just because she's so pretty that in the season. It's also brassy know. highlights. It's just like, I don't know. If she I knew was this day would teacher. come, Lisa. Yeah. This is the <laughs> first time. Because I even like the pixie cut more than, like, this is truly my least favorite Benson hairdo. I think, it, I think it's cute. Uh, I guess we'll have to put a poll up. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's do a poll. <laughs> let's do a poll. Um, so the mom is talking about how Kaylee is such a good person and works um, hard here at the office to save for tuition because she wants to go to NYU and become a lawyer. I don't know what this has to do with anything. Does this make me like her more? Because she has a day... I just... I don't get this little... Tidbit. Well, it's also like whenever they set it up too, like she's never even had a drink. It's like, bitch... Your daughter's like 19. She's had a drink. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's like whenever the mom is talking about how good the kid is, and I'm not saying this kid did anything bad, but like, we're going to find out something she did that's not like textbook good, you know? Well, it also just like, so if she drank, she, it's not as sad. It just right. doesn't make sense. It's yeah. like the sentiment behind it also is confusing to me. So uh, there's a bunch of press and they're asking questions and, um, you know, the press conference is underway and Olivia's interrupted by the office manager who's a woman with pearl earrings, a dark red lip and a side part low ponytail. And she's like, I need to talk to you. So they scurry off together. Um, if this actress was listening to this podcast, she'd be like, wow, I never thought anyone would give me so much attention. <laughs> I'm in this really? I'm in this episode for two seconds. And Lisa's like perfectly describing her. <laughs> <laughs> I loved her. I don't know. Maybe it's because of all my receptioning years. I just have some <laughs> respect. And I realized the office manager is also from Sex and the City. Obviously, I can't stop. Um, and she, do you remember this episode? It was like um, when Carrie is obviously broke and then Charlotte goes to return her diamond ring. And then the woman there is like, she uses a bad word. That would not be allowed on television. <laughs> what did she say? We'll bleep it. Oh, she goes, um, oh, I. after I got a divorce, I turned my ring oh, into yes. a baguette because my husband was a f 
get was the the <laughs> and line. written written by a gay man a thousand percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if she looked familiar to you, she was the one at the jewelry store in the episode where we find out Carrie is so broke. <laughs> but um, and but they cut back to the press conference, and you know Trevor's like, "Listen, we'll give you ten grand if you have any information that brings us Kaylee." And the mom does the classic, like, "We'll give you anything, anything." But it's like, what does he want? What does he want? Right. Your sewing kit? Like, it's... <laughs> you got nothing. Your daughter has to work for tuition. You have nothing to offer these people. Yeah. So, all of SVU is now huddled around the TV and they're watching this. And so, they... And so then at... Um, in the press conference, you know, Trevor's like, and if you have any tips, call the SVU tip line. So then the SVU people are watching it and they're like, oh, great. Um, so they're getting ready for the calls and Cragen's like, nobody goes home. We're all working overtime. There's going to be a lot of leads, especially from the Fruit Loop Brigade. Okay, I like that. Is that merch? I mean, is that what we call the listeners? The Fruit Loop Brigade? Do you guys want to be our Fruit Loops? Even though it is an outdated reference to mental health, we just <laughs> like it in general. Let us know. We'll put up another poll. <laughs> Honestly, I just love the cereal so much that it didn't occur to me that it was like a slur. <laughs> I, I think that's what is so great about you. You would. <laughs> I was like, delicious. Um, <laughs> take five Fruit Loop Brigade. <laughs> yeah, take, take five <laughs> Fruit Loop Brigade. No, this one has, uh, this is a great episode. So we're back with the office manager and um, with Liv. And she's like, listen, so we had to fire one of the bike mess. And it's like, we don't need this gossip. But I love the backstory. So basically, they've had to fire a bike messenger because he was making stops at strip clubs. So they gave everyone cell phones with GPS. And Olivia's like, and you didn't care to tell us before? Before, you know, now a warning. What the fuck? And so um, she's like, no, no, no. The phone has been turned off. So we couldn't, you know, there was nothing we could do. But it just turned back on. So that's uh, fucking exciting. So just a few minutes ago, it turned on. Where is she? She's on 8th Avenue and she is moving. So Ice is now in the car um, with Munch. And they're like following the directions. And then the GPS shows that it comes, the phone comes to a dead stop and they're looking, fuck, it's a garbage truck. Sad. So uh, they do find the phone, but no Kaylee. And we're back to another walk and talk with Cragen and Stabler at the precinct. Um, and they're thinking this phone was turned back on like in the truck on accident. Um, and Mrs. Sellers actually got a call and that's really sad too to think about. And so she just heard like the garbage truck for 20 minutes moving around. And yeah, so... That's weird. Yeah, she was probably not thrilled. No, and also, like, if she was in there, then she, the girl would have been compressed. I mean... I always think about that now when I see garbage trucks. Like, when I see a garbage truck, like, doing its compression, I'm like, oh, my God. I think about... Like, I like this show has made me think about that. Like, if there's a body in there, it's not alive anymore. Like, I've thought of that before because of this fucking episode. Yeah. Garbage Ugh. compression. There's a lot of garbage truck stuff in SVU, though. Yeah, a lot yeah, of garbage yeah. truck stuff. I mean, if you're going to get rid of a body, put it in the garbage. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> rule 101. Okay, so then while they're in the precinct and they're talking and they're trying to discuss what's happening, suddenly you're like, wait, is this a dream? Is this real? Is that Martin Short floating into the scene? <laughs> you're like, I, I don't know if I'm alive or dead. Did I go to heaven? But Martin Short walks into the precinct. And I it's pretty exciting. When you I think of when you think of Martin Short, what's like the thing you think of first? 
I think of like Jiminy Glick, mm. even though I didn't even watch it that much. I think of Clifford because I would always see it at the library and Blockbuster, like that cover of Clifford. Uh-huh. But what I personally love him from is a movie no one has seen where him and Nick Nolte have to kidnap his daughter, Martin Short's daughter from an orphanage and they go out on the run and they might be robbing banks and like Martin Short's wearing a wig and it flies out of the car and then he has to wear <laughs> Wait, like- Wait, do you know what it's called? A, a lopsided- Hannah's clicking. Hannah's clicking. (laughs) Three Fugitives? Yes. I've seen this movie. So Three Fugitives was huge in my house and we watched it all the time and loved it. So that's the movie I think I've watched the most. And did he host the Oscars? I don't know. What I've seen Three Amigos. I mean, I'm I'm cultured. What about you? No, for me, I go right to Clifford. I love Jiminy Glick. I also love Frank, obviously, Father of the Bride. Ah, uh, yes. Um, I just like have loved him so much, like my whole life. I just think he's so so funny and I just uh, think a treasure. Of, like, arm movements. Yeah, like I just think of a lot of arm movements. And I just watched Only Murders in the Building, and he's like still so good. Like he's so good. You're just like charmed by him. Like he's just great. Yeah, we might have to tell the listeners now. We did not get Martin Short. Yeah, if just that's, so you guys know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we tried. We tried. We tried hard, but Marty's busy. Um, <laughs> just in case you're listening, being like, oh, they got him. <laughs> we didn't. <laughs> we got someone else um, amazing, great, per- uh, perfect, but... Um, you are going to love who we got. You are obsessed with who we got. Many of you yeah. have tattoos of who we got, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to be into who's the guest. But um... <laughs> So he said he has seen the girl from the press conference. So Cragen and Stabler, eyes, you know, open wide. They're excited. Um, and so he starts giving details of a man holding her and everyone is like, okay, what's happening? And then he goes, and then they're like, so where'd you see him? Where'd you see him? And he says, I had a vision. And of course, they're pissed. Yeah. And, you know, Stabler like closes his little notebook and uh, Martin Short goes, listen, okay, I know what you're thinking. And Maloney out missing a beat's like, right, because you're a psychic. (laughs) Yeah. And now I'm wondering how many psychics come and harass cops all the time. And maybe they're doing the Lord's work uh, Mm. of just like (laughs) ACABing for us, just (laughs) annoying, annoying them. Um, So then Martin Short, I just... I like that it's not funny, but because it's him, maybe it's funny. Or do they write it extra funny? Like, I don't know, but this episode does have so many gems. And Martin Short goes, oh, you think I'm mentally ill? And Craig goes, wow, he's good. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) So it is just like a really funny episode. So he's like, listen, I've helped other police stations find people. Um, You know, I'm Sebastian Ballantyne. So then Maloney goes, whoa, the Sebastian Valentine? And he, and he goes, wait, you've heard of me? And Maloney goes, no. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. It's so cruel, but it's so funny. <laughs> it is, but also the name is annoying. Spelling it throughout this whole recap was hard for me. Saying it over and over in my head, planning on how this episode's going to go. Sebastian Valentine is a mouthful. <laughs> Who who do you think of when you think of Sebastian? Uh, the crab from Little Mermaid. Yeah. And my cousin. I have a cousin named Sebastian. Yeah, I think crab and then I think cruel intentions. Those are my two Sebastian. And I guess Sebastian Bach, but... Yeah. And of course, Sebastian Roche, one of our sexiest and most capable guests yes, of all time. One of the early friends of the pod. 
Yeah, I mean, he's cooking, he's building, he's on a ship, you he's know. Sailing, I he's, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I bet he's fucking his wife good, okay? <laughs> um, so those are the Sebastians in our lives. And then it's Valentine, not Valentine. It's just like, the, it's just too much for me. I hate it so much. <laughs> okay. Um, so Cragen is like, please escort this man out of here. Thank you so much. And Sebastian's like, well, at least take my card. And another bit, Cragen goes, what, is it $3.95 a minute? <laughs> They're giving it to him. <laughs> but did Martin help write that? Like, how did they know? Who wrote this episode that they are just so many bits? It's like, it's truly incredible <laughs> up top. So we got to go to Taru. Um, and our girl, our good friend, friend of the pod, Joel De La Fuente, Morton Grove resident. Not anymore, but from there. <laughs> Native. Um, he's doing some computer phone tracking stuff. And so at 725 in the morning, there is a photo of Kaylee on the phone that they like were able to get out. Um, and it's her like taped up and strapped up. So at least we know that she was alive that morning. So that's good. And then there's some older photos of her with a guy. And it's like, it looks like they're in a library and it's just like a, a guy her age and they're hanging out. And then the next one, he's trying to like make a move and she's grossed out. But it could be just a joke. They like get, they read so much into this photo. Yeah. Like, if that was just like teens hanging out, I'd be like, okay. But they were like, he did it, you know? They fell to a lot of conclusions from this mm -hmm. picture. So finally, Benson and Stabler, they're talking with Chloe, who is the little sister of Kaylee. Um, and they're talking about the man, and it's her old boyfriend from high school, and she hated him so much. And they hear some commotion from Kaylee's room. They go in, and the mom is with Sebastian Ballantyne, who is touching this girl's underwear and doing readings. But it is creepy he's touching the underwear while doing it. And he goes, hello, Elliot. And the mom is like, he can see her. He knows that she's alive. And Martin Short's like, you're going to find her. We're going to do this. And Stabler's pissed, okay? He is like Mark Cuban on Shark Tank. They don't like a scam, okay? They don't like someone trying to take advantage of people. They do not like that. So he, you know, he goes to his old school rough and tumble ways with like the psychic and is like, go fuck yourself. And he's like, don't fuck with someone so vulnerable. It's so rude. And I just, I do love when Maloney is passionate. I know I'm a flip-flopper on him, but he does. <laughs> care. He does care. And he's like, I keep seeing um, a serial port and a computer cord. Does that mean anything to you? Um, and Stabler's like, maybe he met her over the internet. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he says, actually, no, we went through her tech and there isn't anything. So stop fucking doing this. Like, you're not making any sense. And then he says, listen, there's also, I see her under flowing water, but she's not wet. I know it doesn't make sense, but I see it. I see it. So we're annoyed. Do you believe him? Do you not? Stabler's pissed. What does this mean? Flowing water, but she's dry. What are the cable cords? What is what is hiding in the internet that they're not able to find? Will we find Kaylee alive? <laughs> so the psychic now is trying to like anger manage, judge him and stuff. And he's like, um, go home and don't come back here. And Martin Short's like, I understand your skepticism. I understand, but I'm just trying to help. And Stabler roughs him up again and shoves him and is like, get the fuck away, you stupid fraud. So then he brings up the wife and children and runs off into the night. <laughs> Stablers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. your wife and kids are worried about you or something, right? Yeah, and scurries. Scurries is my word of the episode, I think. <laughs> yeah, so we know Stabler's pissed. He doesn't like when his family is brought up. And so he's, he's off into the night. 
So, you know, when they do the Orthodox Jew separation, so he was with Valentine, Benson's with the mom, and the mom's like, listen, he hasn't even taken a cent from me. This is not a grifter. He wants no money. And Benson's like, listen, I get where you're coming from um, and you're desperate, but there are people that are unscrupulous and they're not trustworthy. And these psychics like flock to high profile cases for attention and then it gives them notoriety and then they can turn it into a business. So this is like you know, they're working for exposure here. Sure, That's yeah. the classic, <laughs> classic. Um, and I never even thought about it that way. So I, I do like that Benson is bringing a new perspective to me. And it's like, listen, you need to be careful. It is about the money at the end of the day. And she's like, yeah, but he says he has a vision. So the mom is um, saying reasons why she believes him and Benson's telling her why it's bullshit. And the mom is mad that they ran him off and it is her only hope to like, connect with her daughter. Um, and I, I mean, I know that they don't trust him, but it is the mom's decision to work with any Fruit Loop she wants, okay? So, did you like that I used it in a sentence? Yeah, sure did. <laughs> my new, my new. <laughs> Fruit Loop's gotta not be offensive, right? It's just too fun. <laughs> I'm bringing it back. And I actually, not to brag, I did just order a protein powder that's flavored as Fruit Loop cereal. But they can't say it because of, you know... <laughs> copyright. Right. Um, right. Benson directs Chloe um, to show the photo of the teen boy to the mom. And the mom's like, Jake, when was what, what was this taken? And they say a week ago. And um, the mom's confused why she never mentioned it. And Benson's like, why did they break up? And then the little kid, Chloe, not little kid, she was going to a dance. I mean, I wonder if she still made it to the dance. <laughs> Jake. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> this dance is kind of weird. My sister's being kidnapped, is kidnapped right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Chloe quickly uh, goes because she wouldn't put out and everyone's a little shocked and the mom and Benson lean in and it's like what how do you know that and Chloe's like I read her diary but she tore it up um, after she found out I read it so we don't have any more diary stuff but thank god Chloe read it and basically Jake wanted to fuck Kaylee was not ready, so Jake dumped her ass, which is good that she didn't, like, stay with him because he was just using her for sex. So good decision-making, Kaylee. And then the mom reveals that Sebastian did ask her if the letter J meant anything. Ooh. So I wonder, you know, what the spirits let him know about the letter J. So now we're back at the office with Ice and Stabler, and they're figuring this Jake shit out. And Jake's in college in Boston, and they're trying to confirm, like, was he there? Did he come home this weekend? What's going on? So then the psychic comes back. Martin Short is back. And Stabler's like, what the fuck? I told you to stay out of it. And he's like, I know, but I'm meant to be here. Like something is telling me I have to be here. And Martin Short then has a wild request to touch some evidence to do a reading. And of course, Benson says no. Um, and I see a stunt coming. So I'm like, what is the stunt? What is happening? And like, it, what's? but then Stabler kind of surprises me and is like, you know what? Give him a room. Stabler's like, keep him in there and let's leave him, like, let's leave him in there so he leaves the mother alone and all of us alone. Just dump him in a room. But the precinct is really wild right now and it's bustling because they're they're getting, like, hundreds of calls and tips and the room is full of people with, with scoop. And so it's just a little commotion. And who do we see in all the commotion? Our good friend, Sister Peg. Hello. 
And it's never good news when she's at the precinct. I'll tell you that much. If she's made, <laughs> if she's made a trip, it's not good. Um, and she's with a blonde woman and the blonde woman has some scoops. So Sister Peg is like, listen, I was doing my condom run and warning all the working girls that there is a man snatching women off the street. And the blondie's like, I think I saw this guy. Um, and while the discussion is happening, Martin Short is creeping his way into everyone. And a weird interaction occurs and I can't really put my finger on what's happening, but he is being creepy. So, um, the blonde is like, listen, this guy made me pretend to be the missing girl. And it just was a little sick to me. So Martin's like, hey, so you're a madam? And LOL, um, so, you know, are you a psychic or what? She's like, no, I'm a nun. And she is wearing a purple shirt. Sorry to bring this up again. I will never stop. <laughs> so, uh, so that's like this little interaction where I'm confused. He's like, oh, are you this? Are you that? Oh, are well, because he also, yeah, he also asks the girl, oh, you're a prostitute? Like, he's so fascinated by them. It's like, yeah. Yeah, it's just... um. It's a little tell, but I don't know of what. But it mm-hmm. is, like, great, subtle acting and directing, if I've ever seen it. So Ice walks in and has some info. Jay, um, Jake nailing a girl and coming home from Boston and crashing at his friend Michael's house. So off to Michael's house we go. It's a loft. That's cool. So basically, Mike is out of town, but a shirtless Jake opens the door and there's a girl in a men's shirt, which I think is a sexy look that is never <laughs> overplayed in movies. Like, you can always put a girl in a dress shirt and I'll like it. So um, the girl is spraying shit into the air. So I'm assuming they were smoking some pot. Bad teens, bad teens. And Jake's like, why are you here asking about Kaylee? What? And they're like, she was abducted and raped. And he says, she was asking for it. So bring him in. Like, even if, why are you, oh God, he probably (laughs) thought the cops would high five him and be like, I know, right? (laughs) So he says how she was always wanting her first time to be special and she made him wait a year and no prize. And then um, they're like, well, we showed, and then they show him the photo of him like, from earlier where he was, like, trying to get some and she was pushing him away. And Stabler's like, yeah, and you never stop trying and you're a fucking abuser. What are you doing? And he goes, no, 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 no. Let me show you something. So then Jake um, says he saw her at the library once on a site called biddingroom.com and she was selling her virginity to the highest bidder. So that's a twist. And Ice is actually very progressive here and is like, listen, she wanted to go to college and she sold the one possession she had. Yeah. And so, yeah, she was trying to sell her virginity to go to law school, her one true dream. So uh, Munch is being a downer and is like, oh, man, who's going to tell her mother? It's like, does the mom need to know? (laughs) Do you have to tell the mom every bit of evidence you find? Like, you don't have to tell her. She doesn't need to know this. So, Cragen is nervous that the press is going to go wild about this. Again, just don't tell them. This is Florida. It's not, like, mandatory release of records. Like, I don't understand why they can't keep it a secret. Like, I, I the mom, the public, the press, nobody has to know about yeah. this website. So they have a list of all the bidders and um, there's no winner. It was a live auction. And the person who had the most amount of bids, who just kept bidding, 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 but kept being outbid was Con E. Sewer. But it's spelled different and there's a word game. I don't really get it. What's what's the game here? <laughs> that he's a sewer? What is it? It's a stupid... Yeah, it's like a way of spelling connoisseur that's not connoisseur. It's like there's no game. It's, it's someone trying to be clever and it's not really... Okay, so they go to this connoisseur freak's apartment, and his name is Harlan Beaumont. 
And it's like, obviously, I love the writer of this episode for all the jokes and funniness. And then with these names, I'm like, you're an enemy of the people. (laughs) But I actually did know a Harlan. I knew a Harlan. He was um, like a pretty Jewish boy at my high school. And he was the star of the musical. And he got sick right before the debut. And he had to like sing sick. It was once upon an island. They didn't have an understudy? He wanted to do it, honey. He Damn. wanted to do it. So he sang poorly and it was like... Um, Dedicated to his craft. Yeah. And he was one of those who knew he was cute. And you don't want to know that in high school. You become a bad... Well, I mean, maybe Harlan's succeeding. Who knows? Who knows where he's at? <laughs> Lisa, do you, you um, said but- it was once upon an... Island where you combined once upon a mattress and once on this island. If you want to read, if you want to <laughs> do a pick yeah, up, which one no. Is it? no, you can leave <laughs> no. this in. This is funny. <laughs> which one was once it? On this, it was once on this island. Oh, no, which is uh, like, yeah, which by the way, my summer camp did that too. And I don't really think all white organizations should be doing that play. No, my <laughs> high school did it too. Fully white cast. <laughs> I mean, we also did The King and I. I mean, we, yeah. Um, it was a different time. It was, but we did have so many Pacific Islanders at my high school, but not in the theater department, I wonder. Because you can't also, like, then go into the school and be like, we need all Asians to audition yeah. for this play. <laughs> Please like, that report seems to the drama up. room. <laughs> that seems fucked up, too. Oh, no, you know what? Clara was in it. Clara Wong, what's up, girl? She's a very successful actress. She's working. She's modeling. She was Ooh. in I th- She was in Billions. She played, like, a dominatrix. She's working, Clara. Okay. Skokie. Yeah. Pumping out the success. Yeah. Um, So anyways, back to Harlan. We're back to the connoisseur, this little freak. And me and this freak have a lot in common. Unfortunately, he is a collector of things that are worthless. And so am I. (laughs) So many lava lamps. Like, he has so many many lava lamps. And like... um, Clocks shaped as apples and pineapples and a cactus lamp. Add some racist statues. I don't have those. Um, a lot of globes, old phones. So, um, but then while they're there and they're bullying this dork, they do get a call that they found Kaylee's body and her body is found in Hell's Kitchen. So Stabler runs to the scene and he's in a denim jacket with lamb fur on the inside. And it is one of my least favorite. Least favorite looks. Just items of clothing. Like if I see someone with lambskinned and it's for, I don't, I don't like it. Nope. Um, so she is dead. And there's a weird blanket on top of her strangulation mark. She's only been dead a couple of hours. And then above her is pipes with running water and she is dry. So Sebastian the psychic was correct. Fuck. Because that is like a wild riddle. And so to have the flowing water on top of her while she's dry, it's like, I think this is one of the hugest moments in SVU history, I would say. Yeah, it's very classic. Because you're like, oh my God, he's a real fucking psychic. Is SVU showcasing a real psychic in a plot line? Like, what's going on? So then the denim boy runs to the precinct. Denim boy is Stabler. So he runs in (laughs) and he goes, give me the freak. Where's the freak? I need to find the freak. Um, And they can't find him, but he was there all all night for eight hours in the interview room. Um, But they can't find him right now. Everything's going off the rails. Like, is it his fault? Did he know? Did Stabler let the girl die? Like, should he have listened to the psychic is the psychic the kid like what is happening so huang and Cragen are now like having to walk stabler off a cliff like we always have to do where it's like it's not your fault it's not your fault and stabler's like it's valentine it's him and he did it so i feel stupid because i thought stabler was maybe believing that he was a real psychic but 
it's not that. He was like, oh, this guy's like the killer. Right. But how could he have killed if he was there the whole time? And he goes, I don't know how, I don't know why, but I know that it is him. So Stabler's like ruffling his desk, trying to look for this business card with Sebastian's number on it. And then a young... um like, cop comes to talk to Stabler and is actually, like, Sebastian's number one fan and is like, whoa, this psychic knew everything. I love this psychic. And Stabler is pissed. He goes, if you believe that piece of shit, you're in the long run, you're in the wrong line of work. And then, in the lofted balcony area of the office, Ballantine is there with a coffee in hand being like, oh, hello. Why don't you look under your mouse pad? The business card is there. So, you know, it's always bad when someone overhears you talking shit about them. But uh, Stabler goes up to the stairs like a little Romeo and is like, oh, wait, so you were here all night and you never left the building? And he's like, well, you told me to wait for you. Uh, but then he knows he's the killer. But how did he do it? Is Stabler wrong? What is going on? And he's just like, you knew about the computer. You knew about the flowing water. How did you know? How did you know? You know, like, and uh, Valentine goes, it's a gift. And then Stabler starts to like rough him around. And he goes, or a curse. Again, (laughs) it's like vaudeville. It's so fucking good. Yeah. Um, So then they play the cassette tape voicemail for him. And it does sound like Martin Short. Like, I do have to say, like, obviously there's games or recording devices being played, but it does sound like Martin Short. And Stabler's like, we have a tech crew and they're scrubbing and filtering it and we'll figure it out. And Sebastian's like, yeah, put a rush on it. Give me a lie detector. I don't care, bro. I am here to help. So Maloney is like, okay, psychic boy, what am I thinking? And he replies that negative energy blocks the channel. And Stabler's like, no, I'm completely open. Um, So Valentine's like, I'm sensing flat problems with a family member, a woman, maybe your wife. He goes, I don't talk about family at work. We know this about Stabler. And he says, I see three pregnancies. And that's, that's interesting because, you know, there's twins. So that's a little twist. And Benson's um, like on the other side of the spyglass being like, how did he do it? How did he know four kids, three pregnancies? What the fuck? And I'd like to say that she is wearing purple. Okay. So anyways, Huang is like, this is just manipulation in games. Psychics like have been doing these games for thousands of years. They know reactions and different ways, the way you move. Like it's just all games. And so then they devise a plan that's that Benson's going to go in there and give all the wrong clues and raise the eyebrows at the wrong time and try to fuck with him and it doesn't work. The plan backfires. He's like, I know you don't have a husband. Like, you're wrong. And Benson's acting is terrible here. Like, Marishka Hargitay, incredible actress. Benson, not good. Yeah, this isn't her best work. No, because I'm also thinking about her being like um, the sex worker in the animal, the wildlife episode where she's like, hello, daddy. Like, that wasn't good either. Like, Benson is not good. I mean, she was good as Persephone. But yeah, she, I don't think she's that good of an actress. Olivia Benson. Yeah. Mariska Hargit. Yes. So Ice comes in and they found nothing on the prints in the system. And Huang starts talking about a CD-ROM. And I just love that. (laughs) So basically, there's like a CD-ROM that the FBI uses to like figure lying shit out. I don't care. So maybe he has this. Anyone can use it. There's like basically there is. And I think I've read about this before. There are ways that psychics can like observe like tiny minuscule like facial tics that you do that give away things that you're going to say. And that's how a lot of psychics actually get work is by using that. And he's like, it's also available on CD-ROM for anyone that wants it, so. Yeah, that's why you have to go to the people that read your coffee grounds because then that's concrete. Which, by the way, a huge plot line in the current season of Organized Crime with Chris Maloney, but go on. 
Oh, yeah, the Albanians. There's a character. The Albanians love the coffee grinds. Um, okay. So, anyways, where are we? Okay, so we're cutting to the connoisseur collector guy, and he uh, is in the precinct upset. He goes, I want a written apology. And it's like, get in line, bro. They're, like, choking men to death on the streets. You think that you NYPD is going to... my lava lamps. <laughs> He's, like, so mad. <laughs> I was just bidding on a virginity. <laughs> yeah. You're not totally innocent, you fucking creep. Yeah, but if someone's doing it on... Per- I don't know. I Yeah, just wanting it is weird. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. Ugh, okay. I like that I was about to defend virginity bidding. <laughs> about I, My whole senior thesis in college was about how the concept of virginity is yeah. false. And I'm like, man, it makes sense. Okay, anyways. <laughs> so he runs away, but her, the little uh, collector guy. And as he's running away, we have a blonde woman with a baby runs in and she's asking Munch for some help and she's looking for her husband. Her husband said he would be here, but they keep waiting and the husband's not back yet. And they're like, okay, who's your husband? And she goes, it's Sebastian. So basically, this is Sebastian's wife and baby. Are you kidding me? So the wife comes in with the baby. And so then Cragen goes into the interrogation room and tells Sebastian, you're free to go. And Sebastian's like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't need to leave. Are you sure? Like, we haven't, I haven't convinced Stabler. We haven't solved the crime. I can stay. And Cragen's like, your wife and baby are waiting for you. Face crack. This is the first little face crack we see. Sadness, confusion. He is not happy that they are here. He's pretty pissed. He does not like his wife. So the wife comes in and calls him Pookie. And Pookie, to me, it's like, is that even a real name? Like, I don't know. Pookie is funny to me. Jared does call me Pook. That's his nickname for me. I was about to say, is that a real nickname or is that something that sitcoms came up with and you're approving? Well, he used to call me that, I think, as a joke. And then he cut it to Pook and that's like what it is now. Wow. Wow. The more you know. Anyways, the mom, she's she's like, we missed you. We're worried. He's like, I told you where I'd be. She's like, but we love you. But she has alibis for him, yada, yada. There's a back and forth, some marriage issues. So he's like, I promised Kaylee's mom that I would find the killer and I need to deliver. And Cragen says, we got people on it. Please leave. And Martin Short's like, I just, I feel like he's going to do it again. And the wife's like, okay, but we need you. And so yada, yada, yada. Ice knocks on the door and there's a situation at St. Anne's. Sister Peg is missing. So on the bed in the convent, they go, they rush over. Kaylee's clothing from her bike messenger job is laid out on Sister Peg's bed. What the fuck is going on? And Stabler's like, fuck, I've been messing around with the Sebastian motherfucker when I could have been, like, finding this and helping, and now, you know, Sister Peg is gone. What is happening? And then it dawns on Liv. She goes, Sebastian met Sister Peg. He knows that she is at St. Anne's, and Stabler's like, but he was with us all night. So it is a true mystery right now. And the connection between Kaylee and Sister Peg is they're virgins. They're virgins on paper. Because I think you could become a nun and, like, not be a virgin. You yeah, know, yeah, you yeah. Do it later in life. But the assumption is, fuck, this guy loves virgins. The nun and this teen selling her virginity are both virgins. Uh-oh, 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 So cut to ice in the squad, knocking down the doors and scaring old lady neighbors, like, looking for Sebastian at the apartment. And, you know, Benson and Novak are arguing about warrants. Obviously, the tale is old as time about this warrant thing. And Benson keeps going, but it's Sister Peg. <laughs> like, we have to help her. And Novak's like, no judge is going to do this. You're breaking the rules. 
So then Novak's also like, hello. He was also in the precinct all night. And Benson goes, yeah, he must have been working with a partner. Like, what? Don't you understand? I'm a detective. I know what's up. So Benson gets a call that Ballantines have just been seen at a car wash hosing out the back of their van. So finally, we get to bring these fuckers into interrogation. What call is that, by the way? Were they being tailed or did somebody just say, hey, I saw a weird couple hosing out their van? I don't really... I bet they had someone following yeah. them. I bet they had a detail. Um, especially, yeah, because if they're already ransacking the apartment, they might have yeah. found them and like with the license plate. And, you know, Stabler goes, you've gone after someone I know personally. Big mistake. Huge. And he goes, of course, logical. How could I have gone after her? I've been here the whole night. And it's like, we know who your partner is and they're going to make a deal. And he goes, I'm a one-man show. And Benson is with the wife. You know, it's the gender breakdown interrogation rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's saying, listen, the baby puked and Sebastian hates the smell. And she's just going on and on about how they're best friends and business partners and they love each other. And Cragen's like, okay, well, she's dumb and he's smart. That's his diagnosis in all of this. They're like, <laughs> he thinks he's a genius and she's the dumbest person I've ever met in my life. (laughs) So no, okay, this is one of my favorites. Again, this episode is so funny. So Novak runs in as Cragen is talking with Ice and goes, I found a judge with a drinking problem. Is that merch? (laughs) (laughs) That's merch. Okay, so she caught him at the bar and so she manipulated a drunk judge with a drinking problem to sign (laughs) a warrant. And and then he goes, yeah, he signed it without reading it. I'm like, this is amazing. I love this so much. So um, then she mentions to Ice, like, fix the door. And Daddy Cragen's like, wait, what door? And Ice is like, shh. I mean, it's <laughs> like, ugh, this is the best episode of all time. So we're back in the apartment. We're searching the computers. We're pulling up records. And basically, um, he uses not Google, but Link It, which is an advanced Google that you pay for. And it, um, it shows public records. And we see that in his search history, he was looking up Elliot Stabler and Olivia Benson. So any ideas that we had that like maybe he is a psychic, he's not. He was just like... So um, he might not even be using that facial thing. He just knew a bunch of shit about them. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the pro, but the program LinkedIn is not registered under Sebastian. <laughs> He's <name>. using LinkedIn. <laughs> it's called LinkIt. What is it? Link- something Link- like that. I think Link-it. it's supposed to be like LexisNexis or something, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so then we find out it's actually registered under a guy named Henry Palavar from Canada. So Henry, they find out, served prison time in Montreal for abduction and sexual assault of a minor, but there was no murder. Um, he let the 14-year-old girl go and the girl remembered his plates and that's how he got caught. So maybe that's why this Henry person might be murdering. The, I, okay. Basically, done, done, done. Henry and Valentine are the same person. Ba-ba-ba. So, yeah. This is a Canada thing. That's why the prints didn't come up because Canada and and um, U.S. are not linked, LinkedIn. And um, <laughs> Henry's only been in the U.S. for six months. So basically, uh, maybe that's why he's like went up to murder because he got recognized. Um, but I don't know. So basically, you guys get it. Martin Short is Henry and Sebastian. So the wife and him took on new identities. And Benson's like, I'm going to get her ass. So... 
she kind of negs her and is just like, okay, so he only got out of prison eight years ago. You've been married for 10 years. What's up, you fucking weirdo? And she's like, listen, he's the most smartest, sweetest, most charming man I've ever met. And they met through a pen pal program with inmates because she says, can you imagine anyone more in need of a friend? They're completely cut off and lonely. And it's like, I don't know, new mothers are lonely too. Write them letters. Like you. Yeah. (laughs) I just want to know what happened in this woman's childhood. I'll tell you that much. So... Um, so she thinks like she could change him. Benson's like, you really think you can change him? She goes, yes. She goes, but you did it. And, um, he's like a bad person and he actually made you bad instead of you making him good. And she goes, that's a mean thing to say. Um, so she's like, um, you know, he's abducting and raping virgins and you're helping him. So what the fuck? We found MapQuest directions in your car. Oh, shout out to MapQuest. I love this episode of television. (laughs) They also did find blood in the van and they're going to test it. And Carlene, it's like, babe, it's over, okay? Uh, It's fucking over. And she's like, I want to talk to Henry. And Benson's like, why? Why would you do this? And she goes, well, I was scared he would leave me if I didn't. So I thought if I proved him how much, you know, I loved him and I would do all this, that he would stop. And Benson's like, but what the fuck? Like, how many girls are there? And she says, 12. Which, you know, she's also an idiot for talking. So who are these girls? And she says, usually hitchhikers in Canada. And Benson's like, well, Kaylee was killed while Sebastian was in here. So you you did that. And she nods, yes, she had to do it. I couldn't let him go back to jail. It was my fault. And then um, behind the spy mirrors, we have Stabler and Henry, a.k.a. Martin Short, a.k.a. Sebastian Valentine, a.k.a. Psychic Boy. Um, <laughs> And they don't do that often, so I really like this. And so he's watching her spill the beans, and obviously he's never respected her. And he's like, listen, I wouldn't even have to rape virgins if she had been one. And it's like, wait, excuse me? And Ugh. But this is the first time, like, the act is dropped. And I, the acting here is fucking incredible to me. Like, this whole thing, he's like, I'm just here to help. And, like, you see the soul leave his eyes. You see him become, like, a fully evil person in just one quick look of a face. Like, that is a skilled performer, um, how you can just change everything about your character in one look. Like, I just... Chilling. So, basically, he... Martin Short, he explains that this woman lied and said that she was a virgin, but he wasn't a virgin. And she's like, yeah, I didn't fuck anyone for two years while, you know, while we were engaged or whatever, and he was in jail. I thought that would be enough, but it wasn't enough. And basically, when they went to compensate the marriage, like... I said compensate. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) I mean, it's close. And then they went and had some consomme after. Okay. (laughs) So he's like, I could tell she was used goods. Like, that that, that wasn't a face of a virgin. And Stabler's like, so what's with the virgin thing? And it basically, it's, uh, you know, Stabler makes fun of him. Was like, what, you, like, you can't deal with competition? Like, you know, you can't have someone that's fucked someone before. He goes, no, I'm pretty adequate in bed. I just like the expression on a girl's face for the first time. And Stabler's like, no, that's not sex. That's rape. You're seeing rape face, not first time vibe face. And he's just um, really into shock and confusion, panic, fear, soft pain. So this is a true sicko. He loves faces. Yeah, and this is the part I'm talking about. Like, there's a part where he goes, and just a soup son of pain. I always, I like knew he was about to say that before he said it. Because I always just remember that line from this. He's so creepy. And he's like, and just a soup son of pain. And is that a little Montreal nod? Like, is that French to be like, maybe oh, from I mean, soup son is French, but maybe it is a nod to his uh, Montreal roots. Um, Matteo Lane has a funny joke. He goes, uh, Montreal people think they're, you know, French. And it's like, you're, you're in Cleveland and you speak French. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I always think it's funny. Um, so he loves all these faces. And then Stabler asks the big question where it's like, why'd you even walk into the precinct? Like, you could have gotten away yeah. with all of this. Like, why'd you do it? And basically, he's just like really into faces. He likes to see what he's set in motion and likes to see all the cops' facial expressions. That gets him off. So he just loves seeing reactions. Um, I bet if you go onto his porn search history, he's looking for close-ups. Okay, so anyways. <laughs> um, he's like, yeah, you guys are all a beehive and I just poked you with a stick. But also, I like to help. So creepy. Back to Benson, twisted love affair. How did you even find Sister Peg? Like, what is happening? You better start talking, bitch. So anyways, we do find Sister Peg. She's in a shipping container that's chained and locked up. She's inside, gashed on the side of her head. But there is a pulse. She's tied and taped. But I'm so glad they're here to help her. But Sister Peg, such a selfless woman. And she's like, the baby, you have to help the baby, the baby. There's a baby in the van. And they're like, no, that's his baby. And Sister Peg's like, no, 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 no. The baby is not good. That um, Sister Peg overheard, like, this wife, this blonde woman kept yelling at the baby that it's the baby's fault that the dad needs to keep fucking and raping virgins. So it must have been a bad baby. And she picked a bad baby. So now it's like, wait, another fucking twist. There's only three minutes left of this episode. Yeah. What the fuck is going on? So now we find out that they picked a baby. This is not her baby. Um, so in the office, they figure it out um, that someone cut the fetus out of an eight and a half month pregnant woman. And they can't find anyone that ever saw this blonde woman pregnant. So they cut a fucking baby out of a pregnant woman and left her for dead. Um, basically, she said she got sick of seeing her husband um, with all those other girls, and she thought if they could be a real nuclear family, that would help, and that would fix everything. And it's like, can you imagine if that was a cosmopolitan tip? Where it's like, <laughs> if your marriage is going bad, steal a baby. Yeah. Um, and then since he knew that she wasn't a virgin, he couldn't touch her, so he would never fuck her. So then they find out that they've been married for 10 years, and they've never had sex. And this puts a confused face on Stabler like I've never seen. He is so confused yeah. by this information. He's like, you haven't fucked your husband in a decade? So they handcuff this bitch. They're taking her to jail. And she's like, no, no, blah, 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 blah. And while they're walking, Martin Short, like, puts his arms out of the holding cell he's in and grabs her and pulls her in. And it's a jump scare moment. Like, I kind of jumped Yeah, yeah. And he screams, you stupid, dizzy cow. And she's like, I love you. And he's like, are you happy now? And the thing is, I'm on Martin Short's side here. I would be pissed if she talked. You know what I mean? Like, I would be pissed. <laughs> and I want a prequel. I want to know what happened to these people as children. Well, like, you're about to get one. So I, I'd be careful what you wish for. <laughs> oh, God. I forgot about the format of our podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> So then he calls her a dirty whore and she's like, come on, bro, don't say that. And she starts crying and uh, she's like, but you promised, you promised. And he goes, I lied. Love that. Stabler and Sebastian have a final little moment and uh, Martin Short goes into the voice that we heard in the first uh, like voicemail recording and goes, best sex I ever had. And oh God, he's so good. And Stabler says, uh, we're not going to extradite you to Canada. We're going to keep you right here, motherfucker. And he likes that. He goes, oh, I really had an impact on you. I love that. And he looks evil and that's the end. And yeah, I think it's one of my favorite episodes. No, and when you go back and watch it again and you hear that recording at the beginning, you're like, it's very clearly Martin Short. Like, yeah. it is. Like, But if you don't know that, it is kind of enough different, yeah. you know? But and if any of you listening are friends with Martin Short, tell him, what the fuck? Yeah, Martin. What are you so busy doing, Martin? 
<laughs> you can't get on a Zoom? Um, <laughs> all right, Kara. I guess let me know what's up. Buckle your seatbelt, baby. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so let's dive into the true crime. Obviously, this episode, um, if you are a fan of true crime or you've just listened to our podcast, uh, does bear a resemblance to the Ken and Barbie killers, uh, Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo. The couple luring girls in, the guy wanting to rape virgins, the Canada of it all. But obviously, we've already covered that case in our episode Damaged. And um, there is another case that this is based on as well. And so we're going to cover that before you all decide to message me and tell me that I'm wrong. So basically, uh, part of this episode is based on the murder of Bobby Joe Stinnett. She was a 23-year-old who was found murdered by strangulation in her home in Missouri, and she was eight months pregnant and the fetus had been cut out of her womb. So this is obviously, the last part of the episode is based on this crime. It's obviously very horrific and hard to talk about, but... I think there's a lot of good information here that we should uh, go over. And what's wild is that they snuck in this heinous giant crime in the last few minutes. Minutes. Like, it is so wild. So, the person who committed this crime uh, was named uh, Lisa Marie Montgomery. She was 36 at the time. So, Bobby Joe and her husband Zeb were childhood sweethearts, and they ran a dog breeding business in Missouri. And uh, Bobby, Joe, and Lisa actually met in person at a dog show in Abilene in 2004, earlier that year. And then they ended up talking online in a chat room about rat terriers called Ratter Chatter. So very passionate about this brand of dog, I guess, this breed. Um, Lisa lied and told Bobby Joe that she was pregnant too. And so the two of them started exchanging emails about their pregnancies 
And then December 16th, 2004, Lisa gets in her car and drives from Kansas 175 miles to Bobby Joe's house in Skidmore, Missouri. And um, it's believed that Lisa posed as a customer named Darlene Fisher, who was interested in buying one of their dogs. So there was no forced entry. She let her in. But then uh, Lisa strangled Bobby Joe and cut the fetus out and fled with the baby. Sinnott's mother found her an hour later and called the police saying it looked like, quote, her stomach had exploded. So horrible imagery. But according to an affidavit, she had uh, her murderer's, quote, blonde hair clenched in her hands. So she struggled. She fought. Paramedics tried to save her, but she was pronounced dead. That same day, Lisa called her husband and told her that she had gone into labor, had given birth. And uh, the following day, police went to her home in Melvern, Kansas, because they had traced the email to her IP address. And they initially just wanted to interview her as a witness. But when they got there, they saw that the car matched the description of the one at the crime scene. Uh, and when they got into the well, house... and the hair. I mean... Well, the hair probably confirmed it all later, but when yeah. they got into the house, they found her sitting there holding an infant watching TV. So, oh my God. you know. And she initially tried to say, oh, this is my baby. And then, like, her story fell apart very quickly and she confessed. So the kidnapped newborn baby girl was recovered and placed with her father, who has raised her. And she's now would be, like, 16 or 17 years old. Um... The quick recovery of the baby and capture of the perpetrator has been attributed to the use of forensic computer investigation that was able to track their online communication. So authorities also used an Amber Alert, which apparently was initially denied because it had never been used on an unborn child. And um, there was no description of the victim at, at all, like the the baby. So, but then a congressman named Sam Graves signed off on it and the alert was used. And then uh, DNA testing is obviously what they used to confirm the infant's identity. And Lisa was tried and found guilty in 2007. So you would kind of think, oh, this ends there. I obviously want to say that I feel horrible for the family of Bobby Joe. This is a, a horrific crime that was perpetrated against her. It should never have happened. She should be alive raising her child right now. But that said, just as we did with Eileen Warnos, we have to take a look at the cycle of violence that perpetuates crimes like these. So I just want to talk a little bit about how Lisa lived her life a little bit. She was born to an alcoholic mother which caused her permanent brain damage and multiple medical experts have corroborated a diagnosis of fetal alcohol syndrome. She was horrifically physically and emotionally abused by her mother her whole childhood. Her own daughter, Lisa's half-sister, called her evil and someone who enjoyed hurt, hurting people. Then she was sexually abused at home, raped by her stepfather and his friends and beaten starting at age 11. Her mother also trafficked her, allowing handymen like electricians and plumbers to abuse her in exchange for work on her house. Uh, Lisa, at one point, confided in a cousin, telling him that men would tie her up, beat her, and pee on her afterwards. And of course, this cousin did absolute jack shit to help her. He just dropped her back at her house. And guess what that cousin ended up becoming? A sheriff's deputy, of course. Like multiple people in this kid's life, knew about what happened, and no one stopped it. No one helped this girl ever. Well, it's also, I think, about the people where it's like, people become cops to help people. It's like, not this sheriff. Yeah. He had an opportunity yeah. to fully help someone in his own family. Like, so what... So if it's not to help people, what motivates police officers and sheriffs, you know? And it's like... Have an honest cousin. look at that. You're a cousin. Just say, come live with us. Like, it doesn't even have to be, like, if you're too scared to press charges about what it'll do to the family, you live in a small town, whatever the fuck. Just say, come live with us. Take the kid out of the, just dropped her back off at this hellhole where she was being, like, abused habitually for years. Um, 
Lisa herself developed a drinking problem. Uh, When she was 14, her mom discovered the abuse by her stepfather and then reacted by threatening her with a gun, like the same way how in Downloaded Child episode, the woman was like, my little seven-year-old is a slut. And it's like, okay, uh, you need to rethink being a parent and also how the world works. So when the mother, this is wild too, like more and more just like disappointment from systems that are supposed to help children and do not. When her mother eventually split from the second husband who was the one molesting Lisa, she and Lisa both testified in the divorce proceedings about the sexual assaults. And the judge in the case like scolded the mom for not reporting the child abuse, but then did not report the abuse himself. Like this was a judge who just like never prosecuted this man, never like made any of that happen. So truly fucked up. She tried to escape her family life by getting married at the age of 18. She married her stepbrother. They had four children in five years, but this man was violent too, beat her often. And at one point, one of her brothers uh, found a home video of her that showed her husband raping and beating her. And the brother was like, it was horrific video, but I just didn't know how to bring it up with my sister. There's another person like letting her down, not helping her. She eventually divorced this husband and married Kevin Montgomery and claimed to be pregnant multiple times uh, with this husband, even though she had gotten her tubes tied in 1990. Because I bet people, well, I can't, I can't say, I don't know, but I bet people were maybe nicer to her when she was pregnant. Sure. That's a possibility too. Yeah. Um, But I mean, she had four kids in five years at the age from Mm. 18 to 22. Like that's a rough fucking go of it. Um, there's a couple of theories as to why she did what she did to Bobby Joe. Um, some people think she took the baby because she had had a miscarriage that she hid from her family. I don't know how this makes any sense because if her tubes were tied, I don't think it's very possible to get pregnant. But another theory that is widely discussed is that her ex-husband had planned to reveal she was lying about the pregnancies in order to get custody of the existing children she had with him. And so she's like, I need a baby. Like, I need to prove that I really am pregnant or this guy's going to take my kids. So at a pretrial hearing, a neuropsychologist testified that head injuries, which Lisa had sustained years earlier, could have damaged the part of her brain that controls aggression. At her trial in federal court, uh, her defense team was led by a man named Frederick Duchart, and he claimed that she had pseudosiasis, which we've talked about before, and that's a mental condition where a woman um, falsely believes she's pregnant and actually exhibits like weight gain, loss of their period, things like that, but there is no baby. We talked about it in the episode where the quiet woman from Orange is the New Black didn't have a baby inside of her. (laughs) Um, It was from Taboo. Taboo, Taboo. Um, So two doctors, one named William Logan, which is my father-in-law's name, testified (laughs) as experts that Montgomery did have pseudosiasis in addition to depression, borderline personality disorder, and PTSD. Another doctor named Dr. Vilayanar Ramachandran testified that Montgomery's stories about her actions were inconsistent because she was so delusional. Like, she was basically unable to really explain her acts or, like, why she had done anything or she just seemed very delusional. And um, he said that when someone has pseudosiasis and the pregnancy belief is threatened— People suffering from these delusions will also go into a disassociative state to protect the delusion. And um, he believed that when she killed Bobby Joe, she was in a disassociative state that was a lot like sleepwalking. Both federal prosecutor Roseanne Ketchmark and the opposing expert witness 
uh, psychiatrist, the opposing uh, psychiatrist, for, uh, the opposing side, disagreed with the pseudosciasis, you know, diagnosis. They were like, this is bullshit. She, they were like, she went and got, she researched how to do a C-section. She bought a pregnancy, an at-home pregnancy kit, like blah, blah, blah. But then a lot of people argued like, to be going through a psychosis or like a, a an event like this, you can still be plan. You can still plan things. Like just because she premeditated something doesn't mean she was in her right mind. So, um, on October twenty second, two thousand seven, the jurors found Montgomery guilty, rejecting the defense claims about her delusions. And on the twenty sixth, four days later, the jury recommended the death sentence. That's where it's fucked. I mean. Were they able to bring up her past abuse? My next sentence. Oh, okay. The, in the pseudosciasis defense, Montgomery's past trauma and separate diagnosis of mental illness were never fully revealed until after her conviction. So it's like how, like, didn't we talk about this with Eileen Warnos? Like, none of this was introduced at trial. Her horrible way that she was uh, brought up. Because the crime is horrific. Like, if you're a person on the jury, I understand uh, where they're of coming course. from. She should be found guilty and be in jail, but the death sentence, I just, we're, well, we're just two thing. not death penalty girls, so. Yeah, exactly. And I, like, you know, I'll explain more later, but a lot of people argued that Duchart did not give her uh, a competent legal defense because he like did not introduce any of her past trauma or any of this stuff. And he rejected all that and was like, I did great. Um, experts who examined her after her conviction, concluded that by the time of her crime, she had long been living with psychosis, bipolar disorder, and PTSD. She was said to have often disassociated from reality and had permanent brain damage from numerous beatings at the hands of her parents and spouses. Horrible. Yeah, I mean, she was beaten her whole life. Can you imagine just being strapped and having electricians come piss on you? I mean, it's yeah. like the most fucked up thing. It's so horrific. And so basically, there's a case called Atkins versus Virginia that ruled that executing individuals with intellectual disabilities is a violation of the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution uh, regarding cruel and unusual punishment. So a lot of people expected that Montgomery would be ineligible for the death sentence here, but she exhausted like every appeal and, um, you know, there was like a day she, she was supposed to get executed and then her attorneys actually got COVID-19. She was supposed to be executed in December of 2020. And then her attorneys got COVID. So that gave her some more time. And then she got a new execution date, which was January 12th of 2021. And I actually came upon this case right after we started this podcast. Um, and we've actually shouted out this, uh, this Instagram before in our What Would Sister Peg Do segment, but Her Whole Truth, which is a um, Instagram, you know, fighting for women on death row or women that are innocent, they were really, really trying to get Trump or a governor or someone to overturn it because this was federal. So it would have, I think, had to be Trump to, this wasn't her state executing her. They executed so many people in that last month. Yeah. It's like so fucked up. It's just weird to think about all of these little pieces where it's, if it was a different administration, she would be alive. Right. One little thing, if one judge gave her a protective order or got rid of the stepdad or one teacher fucking followed up on signs of abuse. I mean, just so many people failing. It's really, people. really heartbreaking too because there's a lot of um, photos of her as like a child and she's just such a sweet little girl who just was failed at every turn by everyone in her life and everyone in her community. So essentially her lawyer, you know, she had multiple, multiple appeals. And then eventually she had a stay of execution that was vacated by the Supreme Court with a six to three vote. And the execution was ordered to be carried out. Her half-sister came to her defense and said her half-sister was named Diane Mattingly. Now her half-sister was removed from the home 
put into foster care and went on to live a good life. And she's like, I feel terrible that I should have, if I had reported what was going on in our house and how horrible our mother was, maybe I could have saved my sister. But I think she just... Why did she get to leave and the other one didn't? I don't really know. I don't really know. I think it might have been like who, I don't know. Somehow someone reported that she was being abused. Like, yeah, exactly. Like another fail. You think one girl's being abused in this house and the other one isn't? Like how is she not also being removed from the home? So the sister Diane said, quote, I would say, President Trump, I want you to look at the life that Lisa had led. I want to look at all the people that have failed her. I want you to look at the rape, the torture, the mental abuse, the physical abuse that this woman had endured. I'm asking him to have compassion on her as a person that has been failed over and over and over again and to not fail her. And guess what? He fucking failed her. Well, asking someone like that for compassion is right. not possible. And that's like a lot, like I was signing petitions. I was kind of trying to post about it. I was really like involved in like her right, bef- in her case right before she was executed. And, you know, someone even wrote me and was like, you know, what she did to Bobby Joe is unforgivable. Of course, like no one is defending that she that she murdered this woman and, and took her, like that was, that's a horrific crime. One of the most horrific crimes I've ever heard of, but we need to like, you know, it's not eye for an eye. Like, we need to break the cycle of violence. We're not excusing the crime. I think this person should right. have been found guilty and just been in jail. and Been in, in, in jail, jail or a mental facility or, some, or something, you know? So she was killed by lethal injection in Terre Haute, Indiana on January 12th. And uh, I'm sorry, on January 13th, because it was 1.30 in the morning. And uh, when they asked her if she had any last words, she just said no. And she was the first female federal prisoner executed in 67 years. So that's another thing. It's like in the Diane Weist episode that we talked about, uh, Chameleon. It's like, you're going to make a rape victim, the person that stands up, that is the example for women being having equal rights to men and being executed. Like, this is not a mastermind woman who, you know, executed a, a horrific crime in her right mind, you know? So uh, she was the first female federal inmate in 67 years to be executed by the U.S. federal government and the fourth overall. Only three women have been executed by the U.S. federal government in the last, like, over 100 years. Mary Surratt by hanging in 1865, Ethel Rosenberg for treason by electric chair in 1953, and then a woman named Bonnie Hetty by gas chamber also in 1953. I don't like that it's this weird bingo of everyone being killed a different way, too. That's like yeah. pretty, I've, that's weird. Yeah. And it was just talking about how, like, Lisa Montgomery, Corey Johnson, and somebody named Dustin Higgs, they were all three people executed under Donald Trump in his lame duck period, like after he had been, you know, like six days after this motherfucker tried to overthrow the government, he kills this woman. Like, it shouldn't have even been allowed. I'm sorry. Like, it's so, it's it's really horrific to me. And that's the end of the story. So if you want to know what Charlene was going through or whatever the wife's name of Sebastian Valentine, maybe this is her background. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, Hannah was just telling us there's like new studies that people with fetal alcohol syndrome apparently make up like 80% of the prison population. Like there's just a lot that uh, research that suggests it affects morality. It affects probably like, yeah, malleability in terms of other people getting you to do things. Like it's just something that should absolutely be taken into account. And, um, you know, I'm I'm not pro-death penalty for anyone, but specifically in these cases, like I just think it's, this isn't going to deter anyone. Like, this isn't, you know, and it doesn't bring back the, the woman who died. 
We talk about this a lot in terms of like our country or humanity in general is so focused on like the punishment or after or like the symptoms, but never the cause of mm. like what is happening with, you know, like that. Like we always talk about death penalty does not deter crime. Yeah. These things don't deter crime. So like what will? And we are unable to do that for the people in our world. Like, yeah. Because even Richard Ramirez, one of the worst killers ever, it's just like, I don't know, what do you, what's going to happen when your dad ties you to a cross in the middle of the night all night and you watch your cousin shoot people to death? Like, it is, it's like, you, we're not excusing any murderers and I hate them all, but we got to find a way to help abuse children. Yeah. And that might decrease the amount of killing, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe feed kids, take them out of homes that are bad. I don't know. It's so mm. fucked up. But thank you for taking us through yeah. this case. And, um, you know, it's our one year and we have a spectacular guest. I can't wait. I can't wait. You guys are going to love it. Okay, guys, our guest today is someone whose work I think a lot of you are extremely familiar with. She is a podcast maven, the co-host of Do You Need a Ride and a little podcast you might have heard of called My Favorite Murder. She's also the co-founder of the Exactly Right Network, which is our network. And you might not know this about her. She is an SVU super fan. So we were so excited to bring our patron saint and fellow SVU fan to our podcast for an interview, Karen Kilgariff. First of all, or shall we say, happy first anniversary. Yay. Oh, thank you so much. Can you believe it's been a year? I cannot believe that. I cannot believe no. it's been a year. That went fast. And the episodes keep on coming. That's the thing <laughs> that I like to say. Sometimes I will be watching an SVU for quote unquote work on the laptop <laughs> and in the hotel have SVU on USA for pleasure. <laughs> and it is, it, it it has gone by fast. I don't yeah. know. I can't yeah. believe it. I can't either. And I can't believe the celebs we've gotten to talk to. I think that was the most surprising, like, Wyclef just singing to us. I was Ugh. like, geez, what the fuck? <laughs> so true. Well, I, I remember listening to the pilot you guys made. I remember where I was in the car, and literally four minutes went by, and I was like, we have to get this podcast. We have to do this podcast. Like, <laughs> it was just, you guys were doing it so well, and whichever one you did for your first for the pilot episode, it was that thing where it wasn't like I had just watched it, but the second you guys started, I was like, the reason this is going to work is because everyone has this kind of almost like, um, you know, collective consciousness knowledge of this TV show where even if you don't remember beat by beat the exact episode, you guys talking about it, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. Oh, that guy. Oh, that thing. And it's like, so you don't have to watch along or be like a super nerd fan to enjoy the conversation. Thank you. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, well, we have a lot of people that listen that say they don't even watch the show. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, they, they're like, we, you tell us everything that happens and then we, we like hearing about the crime. So, the you best. know. Yeah. So, just before we get specifically into Pure, <laughs> tell us where your SVU journey began. <laughs> well, like many comics who do really horrible shows on the road and then go back to a terrible hotel room alone... <laughs> I began to emotionally become very dependent on the entire Law & Order catalog because it was always on because you'd have basic cable. So they would like TNT or whatever the station was that it was on in the 90s, 2000s. 
it was always on. So no matter what time you came back from your gig, you could at least, you would either see Sam Waterston or you would see Mariska Hargitay. It was, there was some friend waiting for you to pull you into a worse thing that happened to people <laughs> than the thing that just happened to me. So it became, at first it was just like, the choices were like the news, some sort of shark week or law and order. And I was like, yeah, this is fine. And then slowly but surely the structure, the pace, the people, it was like, now I have to watch it. Then I watched it all the time um, whenever I found it, which w again was always. And I think it's that it's because there's so many episodes and it's just been on for so long that you can always find an episode and you will always enjoy that episode. Mm. Do you still watch it now that you're at nicer hotels? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's on. The only thing is that for SVU, I really do think I saw every episode once, if not twice, because I, I got into that specifically for a little while because I had a light uh, obsession with Elliot Stabler. So I really enjoyed just visiting a man like that in my entertainment. So it then I went back to the original Law and Order because there it, it just, I didn't wasn't as familiar with every episode, so I would, wouldn't be like, oh, that's Jim Gavigan loading that truck. That means we're about to go here. <laughs> that means this, whatever. It would be like a little bit more of a mystery, but I absolutely will go to it anytime I see it. And is SVU in the hierarchy of all the Dick Wolves your number one, or is that a battle for you? It's definitely number one in terms of, like, it feels like I went to high school with SVU, whereas the classic one is more of, like, college I couldn't get into. And then <laughs> Criminal Intent was, like, the JC that I was embarrassed to be at, but I would go there anyway. <laughs> okay, perfect. Right? Because yeah. I didn't mind Criminal Intent. It's just that I didn't understand what the crimes were or why we were talking about them a lot of the time. I don't think I ever understood the intent of criminal intent. Like I don't I don't I don't really get it's it's more like going inside the mind yeah. of a killer. Mm. But then yeah. the mind, you know, like there's the first episode that jumps out to me was like it was about how someone's young son who was in like his late 20s or 30s had Alzheimer's. So it was like it was always the situation where I'm like is this really like a thing? Yeah. Is this something <laughs> is this worth our time or is this the weirdest <laughs> thing you could possibly think of? So I don't know. It was not as, um, I feel like SVU has that kind of like, you know, every part, like as I was re-watching this episode, because I haven't watched um, SVU in a long time, it was just like every person that comes on, it's like, like clockwork. And I remembered everybody's names. Like I had the uh, cast list there just in case, but it was just like, of course I know Tutuolo. Of course he's saying this thing at this time. Yeah. Like if, it's all very like mom's cooking kind of feeling. Yes, yeah. a warm blanket. Yeah. Which is an episode, Grandma, the meatball episode. <laughs> Isn't it called Mom's Cooking or something? <laughs> no? Wait, true? which one? <laughs> the one with Magda from Sex in the City and she's making, she's a meatball factory owner killer. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> for SVU or for regular? Yeah, no, oh, for SVU. Shit. Oh, I forgot what that one is called. We got to look it up. Oh my God. But I think there's like a mom's cooking vibe in there. <laughs> I guess the other general we can ask, like if you needed a lawyer, who are you hiring? Casey Novak, right? Okay. okay. Yeah. Friend of the pod, Diane Neal. Diane Neal. I feel like um, she is really hardcore, like doesn't take any shit, but then, you know, has a heart of gold. 
Yeah, and also I just have really loved all the hair colors she's had over the years. So many. We just we just watched an episode recently where we were like, "What's happening?" They put her out in the natural light, and they let they just let the sun do its thing, and yeah. there were a lot of colors happening. <laughs> but what I love about Diane Neal is she knows her hair looked terrible, and she'll talk about it. Yeah, is that true? Did she tell? Oh about- yeah. <laughs> she goes, "Ugh!" And then they put they gave me those curls. I look like a ragamuffin. Yeah, she knows that her hair journey was rough, and. Um, <laughs> That's Part really cool. Craft. I yeah. feel like there's not a lot of actresses that would just dive right into that with you. Oh That's yeah, very she's cool. she'll dive into whatever. I mean, Shit. she told a diarrhea story on our podcast, so Shit. <laughs> so, let's talk about this episode. Yes. I mean, pure one of our favorites, one of your favorites. A classic. A perfect uh Meeting of the Minds on this classic episode. I mean, do you, have you met Martin Short in real life? I have. <gasps> Tell me about it. Very briefly and very like not in a meaningful way, but he used to have a talk show in the early 2000s Mm. that a bunch of people that we're friends with wrote on. And it was set up like a late night talk show, but I think it was like afternoon. And so at the end of the show, he had people doing sets. So I did comedy twice on that show. And he was really complimentary and really like warm in a genuine way when I was done. Cause I was really nervous, of course. And <laughs> the one thing I remember is I think I was on the same episode as Delta Burke, which was pretty <gasps> hilarious. Wow. Um, yeah. And the other thing was they kept trying, it was, it was like 2002 or something pretty early 2000s and they really wanted to flat iron my hair and my hair was it was a little more fucked up than it is right now like I <laughs> I just got up but um it was pretty big and kind of like my hair is neither wavy nor it, it's wavy not curly so it like it gets big and it just kind of looks I don't know. Anyway, it was not the look of the time and this hair person wanted nothing more if not to flat iron it than to at least brush it and I wouldn't let her. And so she followed me all the way to the curtain, like truly until they pulled the curtain back as they were announcing my name, this woman was standing by like, please, can I just, can I just do that? And I was like, no, no, get away. (laughs) I wouldn't let her brush my hair. And then during the first set, lighting rig broke and made this loud bang during my set and I didn't stop and I didn't react. I just kept doing my set and they all really loved that, that I didn't like get all freaked out or whatever. I was just like, well, they can edit that out. In my mind, I'm like, they'll edit it out later. And so anyway, I had to do my set twice on that one. Is there video of this? Is this online somewhere? I guess so. In the depths of YouTube? We might have to find it. What did you think seeing him as a rapist and a virgin enthusiast? I do not like evil Martin Short. (laughs) The world doesn't need it. Like, by the end, it was really believable and it was upsetting. And I didn't like it. Yeah. Well, I talk about this one moment where he is, well, it's, hold on. Do you hear the siren? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's thematically good and accurate. Don't you? (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Leave it in. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, uh, Martin Short, there's like one moment where he's watching the spy window and, you know, his wife is blabbing. And in just one look, it really was like he just dropped his face and everything changed. And I am so impressed by that one moment and what a talented person and actor he is because one look and we knew. Ah, so good. Yes. Yeah. And there is so much humor in this episode. The back and forths are so funny. One-liner, perfect. And 
That's it. No question. And it's like Martin Short, like, can't, he can't not be funny. There's even, like, a couple parts where he's just really funny, even though he's still being a creep. And you're like, yeah, he just, like, it kind of oozes out of him. I feel like he can't be. Well, he's a ridiculous-faced person. So in the <laughs> beginning, it's like, his ridiculous face is kind of giving this, like, I'm weird. I'm a weird psychic and very innocent or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but I remember the first time I saw this, it was, I think, and I mean, so this was season six, right? Yeah. So I don't know if in the beginning of the show they had so many celebrities doing guest star pieces. Because I remember once I started seeing the celebrities, I'd be like, this is taking me out of it. Like people would show up and you'd be like, well, this is just a guest star. Like instead of you being all in this borderline real situation in New York City, um, it was just like he comes around the corner and you're like, it's fucking Martin Short. But then he does such a good job that he yeah. like, he erases his own kind of reputation or did for me. Yeah. Were you as annoyed as I was that his name was Sebastian Valentine? <laughs> 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 I hate it. That sounds like a like a show dog's name or something. It's like it's a dick. <laughs> One more time around the ring, Sebastian Valentine. <laughs> a lady in a black pantsuit is running him around the ring. <laughs> um when you were saying it takes you out of it, I famously get taken out of it whenever they reuse actors. Yeah. So even if it's like a not famous person, if it's like the guy who plays whatever in House of Cards, I know he's in season one and then you're bringing him back in season four as a totally different person. And I'm like, well, he died. So what? how did that happen? You know? And like, that doesn't bother me. That's it doesn't bother we, Lisa, we but it bothers me. I like people working. Karen, any thoughts? Know? I like people <laughs> making money. No, of course. And once I talk to the actors and they're like, yeah, it's like an annuity. It really like helps you. I'm like, of course, for you, I want the opportunity. But for yes. me as a viewer. Well, what it is, is I like that it's happening in the real world. It definitely is taking me out of what my entertainment that I'm trying to obviously lose myself in entirely. <laughs> but the thing I start thinking of is how many actors there are in New York City and how hard it is to get an actual TV job and how this guy must be good because he's now been brought back. Like, what did you do? I just start thinking about that actor's, like, life, career. Why, why are you such a great performer? Because also, hasn't Jim Gaffigan been on multiple episodes of all of the Law & Orders? He's, yeah, he's only been on the one SVU where he's the child molester with the bad teeth. Yeah. Um, but I think he's been on others, but just not SVU. Yes, I think yeah. he's been on the other franchises. And I think in the other franchises, he's truly like, I. he definitely one time was loading up a truck where I was just like, oh, oh. And then, uh, but he was Well, gone. in SVU, he's probably loading up a van. No, they get him in a van. He's got no, a little kitty van. No, it's different. He's a, he's a red herring, Kara. He is loading up the van. It ends up not being him. It's the guy, it's another guy who's the main guy. Right. He seems really, really guilty. Yeah. Because yeah, he's kind of dumb and seems like a bad oh. person. And then it's... Yeah. So this episode, uh, so nuts and <laughs> twisting, but also the real, the true crime, we know, we so we said that this episode is based partially on the Ken and Barbie killers, which I know you've covered. Yes. And then partially on um, this woman who did remove a, a, a baby from a pregnant woman's body. Do you know about that case, the Bobby well, Joe Stinnett? I know about the case and it was a woman who told her own story on I Survived. And it is one of my favorite episodes of I Survived. And then I told it on our podcast because it's the most crazy story, which is 
this woman was like eight, nine months pregnant. And a woman was like, I got your, we have the same name and I got your um, baby shower gift. I'll bring it over to your house. So she does it. Everything's fine. And then a week later, she's the same lady calls and goes, oh, now I have another one of your gifts, but I can't, I have to do something. I can't bring it over. And so this woman, having already met a, also this woman was as pregnant as she was. So she's like, oh, I'll just come pick it up on my way home from work. Therein, the story begins of her getting trapped in this apartment and this lady trying to cut her baby out and she had to fight her off and she ended up having to kill her <gasps> to get out. Was and that then, woman really pregnant or was she No, she it? was not really okay. pregnant. The entire thing was set up and there was all this. She, This girl knew she was unsafe when she went in. She looked into one of the rooms because the woman kept trying to get her to come to different rooms in the house. And she was like, this is so weird or whatever. And there was one room where she looked in and she had um, People magazine covers with people's faces scratched out in frames on the bureau. And not she was framed. Like, framed. And she's just like, what the fuck is this? And then she slowly realized something, there's like a bad vibe happening here. Yeah. And then the lady came at her with a kitchen knife. And they basically grappled with a kitchen knife and they she had to grab the knife with her hand to get it away. Like, it's the craziest story. And this girl, then the, the police looked into her because they treated her like a murderer. And they had to go all the way through the story to actually find out that this girl was the victim, not the perpetrator. She was oh completely like, gosh. like well, and she had defensive wounds, obviously. Yeah, like. yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. This wasn't like two ladies fighting or whatever. And also well, when you're eight we or nine cover... months pregnant, that's not when you do a murder. I think yes. you wait a few months <laughs> and then you do your murders. <laughs> You'll have to speak to it, but you would know. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I would imagine. Well, we covered a different crime for this and I not that I'm excited to hear about a new crime but I this sounds not exciting I don't know you know what I mean Gripping. well a better Gripping. ending than the one we covered yeah. for sure yeah. better ending and it's first person as opposed to this kind of ugh, yeah. horrible thing that happened or, you know yeah yeah what about okay well let's ask you the question that everybody asks us which is like do you see an Elliot Olivia Endgame or do you think that they're like she deserves better what's your vibe on that I love the idea that they are you know cuz they've never gotten together or like uh, they, it's all very like close but yeah. no cigar great yeah. because I think it's like it's the old Sam and Diane thing where it's like you think that's what you want until it happens then you're over there in relationship land boo no one wants yeah. it it's all about unrequited love all of life is about unrequited love so in my opinion so I think his nobility, his Catholicism, his, you know, I have to be this certain kind of person. I am, I carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. It would, it would actually, I think, demean him as, or that character of Elliot Stabler a little bit if he did something like that, I think. Also, she, it's like, I don't think that's what she really wants. I think it's like the easy thing of like, grass is greener, guy at work. Yeah. I think she deserves better. Better than Elliot Stabler? <laughs> yeah. How? Yeah. In I what just, way? There, I need someone that w goes to therapy and chooses her. Not like <laughs> my wife died and now I guess I'll go for the woman who's had a crush on me. I want someone that's like, damn, I'm a, I'm in love with Olivia and I'm going to chase her and I'm going to get her and I'm going to help raise her kid with her, you know? Yeah, true. That's what I want. But if we're talking Christopher Maloney, yes, we'd all like to smash. 
yeah. we're all wanting Come to fuck on. Stabler. Come on. Oh my God. One of our listeners just sent us a photo of him at the Yale-Harvard game this weekend, just looking like full New England fall day gorgeousness. <laughs> like he just... Never missed. I missed that. I got to find it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> they took it without him noticing or else I would have shared it. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, when I worked on Ellen way back in the 2000s, mm. he was a guest and I was flipping out, but I was trying not to tell anybody because like the, you know, I was friends with all the people and I was like, I didn't want it to become like a weird thing where suddenly they're like, hey, come and meet him. Where I'm like, no, I don't want to. I just can't. Can't we all understand that this is like, it's from a distance. That's what makes it good. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Him as a person, he's an actor. Like, he's not Elliot Stabler. He's an actor. But basically, we did stuff at the top of the show. And for some reason, we were showing people's high school pictures. And so we got his high school, like, from when he was like a sophomore. And it's the funniest fucking 70s. He has like the part up the center. He looks like he just pulled a comb through his hair. And he's just kind of like a little dorky. <laughs> and apparently the producer who had him on that episode was like, our head writer loves you. And he was like, I want a head writer. And then I was just like, yeah, see, it immediately ruins it. <laughs> like I don't, all of this entire back and forth is just like, no, that's not the way it's supposed to go. Um, but he was, everyone loved him. He was the greatest. Like he was a great guest and super up for whatever and thought it was really funny that we were using his picture. It was supposed to be like embarrassing and he loved it. And yeah. Nothing could embarrass Maloney, I feel like. No. He can yeah. turn anything into like, I meant to do that. I'm hot. <laughs> like, he doesn't care. This is so fun. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Karen, have never had an you. interview of this kind, you know? You know, if you have any more thoughts you want to throw in about the episode, like notes you took, but you don't have to like, you know. I did love when he grabbed his wife through the jail bars. Yes. It's just like, holy shit. The turn became so, so full in that moment. And I did love that he was secretly a Canadian at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They were like, we can't even hide it. It's Martin Shorty, so Canadian. Yes. And they were doing, it was like, they're the Ken and Barbie killers. No, no, it's also a baby cut out of it. Like they, they tacked on so many things right mm. in the last seemingly five minutes. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah, because I, I hopefully there hasn't been a story of a girl who offered her virginity online and then got kidnapped. You know, uh, hopefully that hasn't happened. But Oh, that's the one thing I was going <laughs> to... That's what I was going to say. My favorite part of this whole episode <laughs> was when they were looking at... Um, they were trying to find all the people who may have bidded on her virginity. Uh-huh. Is bidded the right thing. And I don't know how I spotted this because there was just a long list of like usernames. And the first one I saw was Let's Eat Pie. Oh my God. <laughs> I literally had to rewind it and go look back. And I was like, it really does say that. Yeah. Cause you're supposed to only be looking at Connie Sewer, but Connie Karen really Sewer. got her eyes wandering and finding some other. <laughs> because the first thing I think of every, anytime I see something like that is some writer had to go sit down and write out that list so that <laughs> then the like graphics people could go and make that website. <laughs> and they were, you know, Connie Sewer, whatever. And they were like, it's Do Stoner 95 or whatever. But it was like, let's eat capital L, capital E, capital P. It made me laugh so hard. <laughs> let's eat pie. Wait, what other moments um, caught your eye? These are all so funny. Um, well, I do love any episode with Sister Peg because yes. that, that actress has been on TV for, you might know her name offhand. I think I wrote it here somewhere. Um, oh yes. Her name is Charlene Woodard. Uh, yes. Yes. But she's been on TV for so long. I do love the way Dr. Wong, uh, BD Wong, 
is always he is always piled on with all the exposition. So he literally <laughs> yes. he's there. He's explaining what micro expressions are. He's explaining how psychics trick people. He's explaining. He's like it's like everyone else is confused about how everything works in the world, and then he shows up and it's just like. Boom. Here, I, here. I'll explain how everything works. And you. sometimes he has to talk for so long that they just have him kind of, they just overlay his narration over other things happening in the show <laughs> yes. because they can't just show like a two-minute shot of B.D. Wong just talking. <laughs> just being like, the reason he guessed the name, the letter J is because the name John and Mary are the most common. <laughs> and to me, he is, um, whatever he says is fact to me. Like that's bibliography proof. Like if George <laughs> Wong said it, it's true. No, but we do love Sister Peg and we have our fingers crossed to get her, obviously, because we have a so What Would Sister Peg Do segment every week. On well, the yeah, and the wild so. thing. Do you know the comedian Joe Quazala? Is that, he makes a lot of videos and stuff. I've, yeah, I, I've been on his podcast and I've watched a lot of his stuff. So his girlfriend shot Sister Peg. Like, that's the actress. Like, he texted me out of the blue when we started the pod. And so his girlfriend is the actress that, like, Stabler kills and she shoots <gasps> Sister Peg. Holy shit. Yeah. Yes. And I just yeah. met her at a bar, like, a month ago at a birthday <laughs> party and was like, oh, my God, when you shot Sister Peg and she's so shy and she did not want to <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> and then I saw Johnny Pemberton, who had just been the rapist, and I go, hello, you rapist. And I was uh, like, this podcast is taking over my life. I got to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> All the actors show up on that show <laughs> at some point. No, I could tell she gets worried when I enter a room because she knows I'm about to <laughs> like beeline towards her. I this It just made me think once long, long ago, I had an audition in Simi Valley for Law & Order Regular and it was just for a protester outside a courthouse. I cannot remember the line, which is weird because I usually, once I memorize lines, I can't forget them. And if the audition went particularly badly, I will rethink about the lines over the years. I'm a total lunatic. The fact that I ever tried acting is ridiculous <laughs> because I it drives me absolutely insane. But I remember going like, what's this show? And like, it was like early enough on that I didn't know what my part was or wow. what or how it worked. But like two years later, I would have fucking nailed that audition because I'd seen so many episodes at that point that I would have been just like, we don't want a thing. Just know that like, you have to just like give it all and be in that one moment. And then that that's all you're doing. Like interrupting the press conference or whatever. I couldn't yeah. imagine. I mean, I don't think it's also out of the realm of possibility that SVU will do an episode that involves, like, characters like you. Like, a character like you in Georgia. Like, a podcaster type well, of Well, this thing. episode, there was one guy podcaster. Yes, well, the, so they did yeah. this episode recently that people think is based on Jensen and Holes, actually. Because it's, oh. like it's like a former cop and a podcaster sort of journalist teaming up. Oh, that's good. And all good. these people were like, didn't you guys think this was, like, Jensen and Holes? I told Jensen about it. He hadn't seen the episode or, or and didn't, didn't seem to care much. But um, <laughs> but I was like, I could see there being an episode where like, because, you know, where like there's two characters like you in Georgia that are like true crime hosts and there's either something real that happens or maybe this is my Law & Order SVU spec script that I'm giving away the plot to right now. Cut this out. Hannah, cut this out. <laughs> Although I would say, I would say don't do it because I think that it's like when they do stuff like that where it's not just like the crimes that people know about, but then like it's this kind of cultural reference. I think that also takes me out of it when I- Well, it, like they just did a TikTok murder thing. 
Like yeah. they are a rape thing, excuse me. And like it was everybody was like LOL SVU tackling TikTok. So yes, yeah. you're right in a way. They yeah. always they do it. I mean, I know that they're that's kind of like how they stay current or whatever, but I'm always just like, anytime I see it, I'm just like, all right. I'm fine with just like find you find a body behind some garbage cans in New York City. Because and let's truly, get to it. Yeah. As a like farm girl from Northern California, I'm just about those brownstones. What's going on in those brownstones? How about you get a search warrant? and bust open the door of that brownstone. Like, <laughs> please, that's all I want. I'm writing that down. What's going on in that brownstone? That is SVU. <laughs> Woo! So I hope you enjoyed that little gift from us to you, your queen, oh. Karen. So, And we love talking to Karen. We love Karen. We should, wait, I wish we asked her what it feels like to have the name Karen, but, you know. I know during all this time. Yeah, I wonder. Because I bet yeah. there's zero babies called Karen now. <laughs> you don't do it. Have you seen, um, there's like a Twitter thing where someone was co- like writing to customer support and the response then at the end wrote Karen. And this woman's like, I really don't appreciate you talking to me like that. And the woman goes, oh, I'm sorry. No, my name is Karen. It was just me signing off. Um, I don't <laughs> know if you've seen that. <laughs> So that episode is obviously a classic. Uh, postmortem, what did we learn? I mean, don't get in a car with a husband and a wife just because they've got a baby with them because you do not know where that baby came from. Yeah, just don't get into a car. Yeah. Ever. I used to I used to hitchhike. I actually really? hitchhike, not not hitchhike. I in sit in Rome, I would get into people's cars in, in Rome, Italy. Like I would because there's like, I don't know. There's not no crime there, but there's not as much body-to-body crime there. And so, like, people would just pick us up and take us to the bars we were going to. They were just nice. And, like, I would never invite well, my child to that. they were trying to fuck you, I'm sure. It's I would not never just do it again. kind. No, but sometimes, I know, but it, <laughs> I would always be with somebody else. But one time I was by myself and I got into a car with a guy that had a car seat in the back of his car just because I thought, oh, he's got a kid. And he did just take me home and it was no big deal. But that's a horrible, horrible beginning to many, many murder stories. Yeah, because then he knows where that. you live. I was living in a convent. I mean, he could have come in. There would have been 20 girls he could have gone after, I guess. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, my semester abroad, I was living in a convent. Um, but listen, I guess what we could learn is that psychics are fake, but I don't believe that. And I do believe in psychics. And I will be going to mediums and psychics for the rest of my life in tarot. Interesting, interesting. I'm not a believer, but I, you know what? I've never actually sat with somebody that like changed my mind. I would love to sit Did with Did you not have a them. nice tarot experience in Palm Springs? Tarot is different to me. Why? T- because tarot to me is like, here's generally like the vibes going on in your life. It's not like your brother is talking to you from the beyond. Like, you know what I mean? It's like a little bit not, or like- You know what? I, I have a medium that I've been wanting to go to for a while and maybe uh, I'll give myself a Christmas gift and I will go and report back. If Because I've yes. never met my grandparents ever. They were all dead before I was born. And I feel Got like it. if I would love, to, if they if they can hop on over from Russia, maybe they have some stuff to say. I don't know. That's another thing. How do psychics talk to people that don't speak English? I don't know. I have no idea. How does that work? Maybe should I don't know. We'll see. Okay, I'm booking an appointment immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I'm booking an appointment ASAP. I really want to... Well, maybe my grandparents won't show up. I mean, the reason I found out about this medium is because Busy Phillips was on Les Culturistas, a podcast we share many top five Spotify lists with. So that we're in good company there. And her friend, who was a writer on her show, Shantira, had a reading and Busy's grandma was in Shantira's reading. 
And so Shantira called Busy and was like, hey, your grandma showed up and then called Busy a name that only her grandma called her and no one else would know about. That's incredible. So then Busy went to this woman and then I messaged Shantira. I got the information and now maybe, now I, I have to do it now that we're like fully talking about it on the pod. Well, I have, if one of my relatives comes to you during your session, please do drop me a text. Well, and um, I was telling you about this other TikTok I saw now that I'm on, I'm on TikTok. I hired a TikTok guy. Come on, you know, follow me. But um, I was telling you yesterday when we were hanging out that like this nurse was talking about how they can't explain it, but it happens all the time so much that oh, they put yes. it in uh, family and patient like information packets when someone is like dying in the hospital or really sick. And when people are like about to die and that's, they start seeing ghosts, they, they start seeing people from their lives and fully being able to communicate with relatives and dogs and all this stuff and no one else can see it, but it happens so often. Yeah. Wild. So there's got to be, you know, so that's why I believe in that. I believe there's a lot of people lying like Sebastian Valentine, but I do believe people must have some sort of gifts. Well, yeah, know. there's a lot of quacks. And actually, uh, we were on a podcast called What's Your Sign Podcast, and they recently posted a thing where there was an article or something about how all these people have been um, scamming people on Instagram, pretending that they're mediums and psychics and stuff like that. And they're like trying to get the word out like any. Any legitimate reader's not going to ask you for money over DM. Like, don't get scammed. And so, I, I mean, you know, I just think it's it must be tough if you are actually gifted to be able to speak to the beyond to have to compete against so many bullshit artists that are out there. No, I don't think it's hard. I bet there's a lot of loonies like me who are willing, ready, and able Happy. to give money. <laughs> Opening their wallets wide. Yeah. Thrilled. <laughs> Thrilled. Um, Why don't I just um, give you access to my Venmo? Um, <laughs> So wait, anything else from this episode? I mean, basically, we're, we're anti-death penalty. I mean, we've said it a thousand Martin times. Martin Short so is so yeah. talented. Martin Short's very talented. Maloney and Cragen were very funny. I mean, I don't know. I'm sick of learning stuff. Can I say that? I'm done. Yeah. I'm done learning. Yeah, it's fine. You don't have to take... Well, we're canceling this section of the podcast now. <laughs> Lisa doesn't want to do it anymore. But we also wanted to let you guys know there's going to be a little shakeup over here at Team That's Messed Up and our intrepid... Producer Hannah is moving upward and onward at the exactly right company and will unable to be continue producing our podcast, but will be still working with us, you know, tangentially as a big ass boss lady. So we um want to say thank you to Hannah for everything she's done for us. She's been an amazing producer for this full year. And we want to welcome our amazing former sound engineer, current producer, Annalise Nelson, who will be our current producer. And we're so excited to work with them and cannot wait to kick the journey off. But we'll still keep the group chat. We'll keep the group chat. Yeah, the group chat will still probably be in effect. Hannah, do you want any uh, final words? Do you want to tell everyone your new title? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still booking your guests. So yes. I'll be, I'll oh, be yeah. in the group chat with yeah. you. <laughs> so if you're still wondering how did they get so-and-so, that's still going to be Hannah. But um, Annalise will be the one that's tippity-tapping and finding out answers to questions that we should have researched ourselves. Well, I, I was noticing already the differences because we were recording a heinous crime this week and Annalise uh, was having a hard time. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> oh, yeah. The facial expressions from Annalise are much more... So, yeah, Annalise covering eyes. Their head was like going back, deep sighs. Uh, there was a lot of... <laughs> it was really funny. Usually uh, Hannah's just typing and looking into a distance. No, uh, but it was just funny to see how affected Annalise was and how, we weren't, it was a, 
it was a sad moment of... It was a very sad thing we covered. Yeah, of course, of course. But no, we're really happy to welcome a producer that has emotions. We're excited. <laughs> um, <laughs> but a, a huge thank you to Hannah and a huge welcome to Annalise in, in their new role. And we're, we're really excited. Let's plug forward to What Would Sister Peg Do This Week? This is our weekly segment where we give you guys a website, an organization, a book, an article, something that can give you more information on what we talked about today because Lord knows we are not fucking experts in anything. Um, This week, we're going to highlight the Cornell Center on the Death Penalty Worldwide from Cornell Law School. Their website is deathpenaltyworldwide.org. Their mission is to provide transparent data on death penalty laws and practices around the world. They publish reports and manuals on issues of uh, practical relevance to lawyers, judges, policymakers, and they train lawyers in best practices and engage in targeted advocacy and litigation. So I'm always interested in um, when this country is going to move away from the death penalty. Hopefully other countries will and will follow suit. So go to deathpenaltyworldwide.org if you want more information about all that. And next week's episode is going to be Pathological, Season 19, Episode 10. It's a good one. It's a goodie. Peacock, you know the drill, DVR. Um, And again, thanks for being with us for one whole year. Yes, thank you guys. We love you so much. Keep up the DMs and emails and everything. We love hearing from you guys. Bye-bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun, dun. dun. <laughs> <laughs>